You will give me the box right now, or I will kill you right now. No. Just give me the box, Marty. I thought you couldn't kill your friend, Cos. I missed on purpose. Now give me the box. Take the goddamn thing. I don't want it. You win, I lose. That's what you want, isn't it? Say it. Say it. Yes! I'm sorry, Cos. You could have shared this with me. I know. Could have had the power. I don't want it. Don't you know the places we can go with this? Yeah, I do. There's nobody there. Exactly. The world isn't run by weapons anymore, or energy, or money. It's run by little ones and zeros, little bits of data. It's all just electrons. I don't care. I don't expect other people to understand this, but I do expect you to understand this. We started this journey together. It wasn't a journey, Cos. It was a prank. There's a war out there, old friend. A world war. And it's not about who's got the most bullets. It's about who controls the information. What we see and hear, how we work, what we think. It's all about the information. Indeedly so. Uh, why, hello, it is six minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11 in this, the month of August. In the year of our Lord, 2008, thank you for coming by, making a part of your listening day. Ladies and gentlemen, friends and neighbors, Romans, countrymen, children of all ages, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into amusement and irritainment. Uh, it is 503-733-2970. You want to join us today? 503-733-2970. With your comments, questions, clarifications, conventions, conventions, two cents, ruminations, recipes. Uh, musings of an ironic or perhaps confrontational nature, whatever it is you might have. 503-733-2970. Uh, Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, the provocative, uh, the grueling, the... Uh, oh, man, I've tried to go one... I've tried to go one superlative too many. The, uh, the, uh, the itchy. That didn't really work. Well, whatever. We'll try it again tomorrow. Uh, it's 503-733-2970 if you'd like to join us today. It is Thursday, and welcome to Day 12. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, you can email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Tim at 970.am. Richie uh, with a T at 970.am. Or Kristen with an E at 970.am. All right, uh, lots to get to today. I'm just going to address this right now so we can get it out of the way. Mackenzie Phillips arrested at L.A. airport. I'm guessing right now, if I had to just sort of lay money on this, there are two people in this room who know who Mackenzie Phillips is and why she's famous. There is one person named Kristen Bowie who does not know who Mackenzie Phillips is or why she is famous. Am I correct? I know the name, but I can't All place right. it. Let me ask, do you believe that Mackenzie Phillips is A, an actress, B, a singer, C, a model? Singer. No, you're wrong about oh. that. All right. You're wrong and I'm old. Well, she's close. The family name is related to singing. That is true, actually. Uh, so You're partially correct. So you, there you go. So you're correct in spirit, not an actual fact. She was conceived out of a music environment. Uh, I'll take partial correctness. So let me just read this, and then we'll get it out of the way, and then we get so much to get to today. 
Here's one of the things. There's so much to get to that I can already see forward to the end of tomorrow's program when we're still behind from today. I mean, really, you don't even, you don't even know. You don't know from busy. Uh, Mackenzie Phillips, former teen actress, uh, has been arrested on suspicion of possessing a controlled substance after she allegedly was allegedly. Uh, after she was allegedly found carrying drugs at Los Angeles International Airport. Here's the thing about drugs, kids, and, you know, Rick Emerson is not here to lecture. Rick Emerson is not here to tiresomely hold forth about morality or how you should live your life, uh, lives. But I will say this. The, the, the reason you don't, there are two reasons you don't want to do drugs. Uh, a, I mean, and this is leaving aside the whole issue of your body being a temple for Jesus. The, the other two issues are, A, when you do drugs, you make bad choices, like leaving Kiss in 1979, which is really just an astoundingly poor decision by anybody's rationale. So you don't want to do that. Also, because drugs make you really, 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 really stupid, like deciding to allegedly fill a bag full of heroin and take it through Los Angeles International Airport which I do believe is the same airport where Aaron Sorkin got busted for carrying a big bag of mushrooms and crack. I'm sorry. It could be her agent suggested that, because it's <laughs> happened before. Even even on the Donnie Marie biography, uh -huh. Donnie Osman said his agent suggested he do that because his career was going nowhere. Get busted with a bag full of drugs? At, at LAX. Well, I guess. I he mean, refused to do so. Maybe you know, They say the thing about there's no such publicity as bad publicity, and that's really wrong. I mean, I think we all know that that's a cliche that just doesn't hold. You Look at Sean Edwards. That's what I'm saying. There's just uh, a lot of those things don't hold up under even the uh, even the, 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 the sort of the most vague scrutiny. Anyway, so uh, so there you go. Now, that's all we're going to say about it. Oh, I will say this, that Mackenzie Phillips uh, was the co-star of the 1970s. Listen to this, though. This is more of that decline of uh, the decline of sort of journalistic standards in terms of the language they use. Here in the article, and this is from the Associated Press, they don't even identify one day at a time as being a sitcom from the 70s. Do you know what they call it, Tim? Airport Police uh, Sergeant Jim Holcomb said the co-star of, I'm quoting now from the article from the Associated Press, mm -hmm. about Mackenzie Phillips being busted at the L.A. airport with heroin, allegedly, says the co-star of the old sitcom, <laughs> the old. watched by old people. It has to be an 18-year-old writing that. Who are now old talk show hosts, talking to their old-ass listeners. Jesus. The old sitcom, One Day at a Time. That comes right out of the AP style book, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Was arrested Wednesday. Uh, she is the daughter of John Phillips, uh, leader of the Mamas and the Papas. There you go. John Phillips and uh, apparently uh, the old sitcom. Yeah. And then there's that awkward story about, about Mick Jagger having his way with her when she was 16. Do you know that story? Okay, this no. is my final Mackenzie yes, Phillips. Yes, I, I think I have. I'll say this is my it, final Mackenzie Phillips observation. Uh, then we'll plunge on ahead to a whole lot, a bunch of things today. Uh, we're going to be giving away uh, a copy of The Shield, the entire sixth season, on DVD to one uh, random on-air caller today. One random on-air caller wins a copy of The Shield, the entire sixth season, on DVD from Sony Home Video. Be sure to watch The C uh, Shield's uh, season premiere of the final season next Tuesday uh, on FX. We'll also uh, be giving away another copy later on as part of the Mystery Top 5. I'm just going to tell this one Mackenzie Phillips story. Then we'll move on to the actual meat of today's program. So, A, she was the son of John Phillips and the Mamas and the Papas. B, she co-starred alongside Valerie Bertinelli and... Bonnie Franklin. Bonnie Franklin. There I you never go. remember her name. Allie Oop, uh, on, the, on the old sitcom One Day at a Time. Also, Mick Jagger, this is 
a story that I don't know this to be true, but this is the story that is often told, uh, that Mick Jagger was a friend of John Phillips because they were both musicians and sort of there in the counterculture 60s. Apparently, uh, Mick Jagger, who was then, I mean, he was like already 150 years old, took a strong liking to Mackenzie Phillips, who was 15 going on 16, and expressed his wanton lust to John Phillips, who I swear to God, according to the story, arranged for his daughter to be left alone in a home with Mick Jagger, who then seduced her and took her innocence. Are you kidding? I'm not kidding. I mean, I'm not saying it's true, but I'm saying that's the story everybody no, I, I, tells. I think that is true. And I think Mick Jagger himself has actually told that story. So, uh, there you go. Yeah, to make you feel better, Rick, that show went off the air when I was a year old. God damn it. All right. Well, whatever. Uh, so I remember the, watching that on the color TV. I remember watching it on a black cable. and on a black and white TV that had one of those uh, weird ass like white earplug things that came out of the little jack on the side and you jam it into your ear and then it would be all filled with wax within like a week or two and it wouldn't work. Yeah. Moving on, uh, coming up in today's program, you know what I was holding in my hands just five minutes ago? I don't have it now because Richie's got it in the back room. Holding in my hands the brand new single from ACDC. That's what I'm talking about. Choke on that. Uh, so we'll get to that later on today. So it'll be a week of both Yang and Yin. Because uh, we had the new Metallica single earlier this week. Which was just sort of what you expect it to be. And I mean that in a bad way. The ACDC single is undoubtedly just what you expect it to be. But I mean that in a good way. So we'll get to that later on. So we got Metallica earlier this week, the new ACDC single today, uh, and then the worst song you've ever heard, and it's not the one I've been teasing for like five weeks and haven't gotten to. It's a brand new one that I'm going to tease and then maybe not get to. Uh, Steve Kastenbaum will be joining us from Denver, Colorado today, where he sits on the street staring lovingly up at the CNN Grill, wishing only to be invited in. Let's see, what else? Dick Uliano will join us today to talk about... I guess Congress is going to be yanking a bunch of members of the, uh, the, the, the Bush administration in front of... Uh, they're going to be cited for contempt of Congress or contempt of court or contempt of a thing. People are too busy to pay attention, though. I know, but I'm hoping it's going to end with somebody in the stocks having rotten tomatoes thrown at them. So Colorado? we'll find out. I think we really ought to bring back, uh, you know, like a good public scourging, sort of Jesus style for people who do things like this. Uh, speaking of Carl Rove, so we have some Carl Rove news coming up later on today. And I'll just give So apparently he called Joe Lieberman. Yeah, I have the story here. You have that? So I guess Carl Rove called Joe Lieberman and just in his sort of sinisterly silky tones suggested that Joe Lieberman remove his name from vice presidential consideration. So we got the story on that. Uh, CNN Radio correspondent Ed McCarthy will join us uh, from the south where Hurricane Gustav is preparing to lay waste to all in its path. We will get today to the uh, top five B-sides that exceed their A-side in terms of quality or chart success. Top five B-sides that are better than the A-side. We also have the mystery top five, which we actually had time for yesterday. But I hadn't actually bothered to prepare it or write it out or list it or whatever. Uh, so today we will get to the mystery top five. If you're able to identify the song titles and the overarching theme, uh, you'll win a copy of The Shield Season 6 uh, on DVD. All right, what else? Uh, convention news. Uh, we'll get to our, uh, our latest birth of a salesman uh, contestant, Glorious Bastard of the Week. Uh, I think we may have Dorothy Carcassari from the National Enquirer today, but having said that, I don't really know if it's true or not, so that might just be a thing that I'm making up or trying to wish into existence, Beetlejuice style. Tim Riley is working on the following stories for your edification. A wrong-way driver who hit a semi head-on. Driving in the I-5 this morning may have been inebriated. Former Thomason car salesman win a $19 million discrimination lawsuit. 
Willie Nelson will speak at the opening of a brand new Salem biodiesel bio plant right after his concert at the State Fair. Do you know Willie's playing at the State Fair Friday? He I did not tomorrow. know. Mm-hmm. No one tells me anything. A Vancouver woman may, may seek legal action against a neighbor who impersonated her and ordered her tree chopped down. A woman named Marcy was with trailblazer Kevin Duckworth in his hotel room when he died. No other details are being explained, but he did not die alone. Dolly Parton is laughing off reports that she died. Bloomberg mistakenly publishes a report saying Steve Jobs died. He didn't. Or Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was the guy who was covered in boils. Yes. Uh, The two-headed baby dies because his parents can't afford medical care. Microsoft Explorer 8 will offer a porn mode to hide the trail of those who view such things. Richie Bristol. (laughs) A brand new episode of The Muppet Show. Several could return to TV after a 27-year absence. It's been that long. And a guy rams the main gates of the Playboy Mansion not once but twice. Fantastic. We'll never get to any of these. No. Well, uh, we'll get to about 20% of this, but we'll try to make it only like the cream, like the best 20%. Uh, Joined today by Kristen Bowie, who is in for the vacationing Sarah Dillon. Hello. How are you today? Hello. I'm doing very well. Did you watch the the convention last night? Yeah, I spent the night watching part of that. I got really mad at Carrie when he spoke. See, I don't know when that (laughs) was. You're the only one who heard him. What channel were you watching? Um, I, I was flipping in between CNN and MSNBC. We must have been like way early in the must day, have been like MSNBC. Yeah, was he? Was it like at Lollapalooza where you go to Lollapalooza early in the day and there'd just be like you know the Schmuck Sisters? Was it like nobody cares about? There's five people there and they're on and off before anybody else has even gotten out of bed. I do I have a, I do have one soundbite from him. Does he Does he say he's reporting for duty? I have. A, oh, that was that was a terrible moment. Um. So uh, it, we'll do a little bit of convention talk uh, here, and then we got some other uh, some other stuff to get to, um, and then we'll get the, your phone calls and so forth and whatnot. It's also High Concept Thursday, so that's uh, another thing we'll endeavor to get to at some point in the next three hours and forty three minutes. So uh, I went home last night. When the hell did I even get home? I don't remember. It's all just one big one big wash of like applause and you know and and and, and just Cheetos. So I was sitting on the couch watching the convention coverage last night. Oh, I know what it was because I went home and I was watching the convention coverage and then I took some time out, you know, because it was all going to the TiVo anyway. I took some time out to watch the latest Mad Men, uh, about oh, which good. I have many 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 thoughts, and we'll get to all of them in excruciating detail in just a moment. The car crash was surreal, dude. Let's just put a pin in that for one second. So we were talking about the convention last night. Uh, and they kept doing that thing on CNN where they do the little ticker of stuff that happened earlier in the night, stuff that's happening now. I mean, you can tell really just how dumb the American brain has got, how completely smooth and without folds the American brain now is, because they need to be reminded, and by they I mean me, need to be reminded of things that happened five minutes ago. And so they CNN keeps putting that thing in the lower left-hand corner that says, earlier, John Kerry, now, you know, puppet show, later, Bill Clinton, or whatever. And I don't even know, I didn't even know that John Kerry spoke. I didn't know that John Kerry even talked until I picked up the newspaper this morning and they were talking about it. So I, that was the thing that nobody chose to air that. Or maybe I just sort of blocked it out like some sort of bad childhood molestation episode or whatever. I don't remember anything about it. I think it was like in the middle of a couple of Bowflex commercials or something. I mean, the, really, I mean, don't, I mean, don't you get the feeling that they go to a... And you do that, they do that thing where they go to a commercial and you can see some poor sap on the stage who's just busy bumping their gums, giving a speech that no one is, is listening to. Now you can eat. Two years' worth of Jenny Craig food for just $250. Call and, now. And then they come back and junk her. And that's why I believe... And then they're done. Uh, I will also Have say you tried this. the Bowflex? They were also doing that thing last night like they do at the Academy Awards where they have the guy who introduces the guy who introduces the guy who gives the award for gaffer or whatever. Mm. Because they had 
some person introduced the woman who then introduced Bo Biden, which is an unfortunate name, yeah. who then introduced Joe Biden, which oh, is yeah. an unfortunate his son, rhyme. His son who spoke, which was kind of creepy because his son is, I guess, a middle-aged fellow. Yeah. And he's talking about his dad coming home. Wake him up in the middle of the night to kiss him up. Is this recent? No. It, or, or, or was it several years ago? It was not a well-written or delivered speech that Joe Biden's kid did. Um, but Joe Biden doesn't go to parties. He'd rather be home with his children. He's he's not one of the madmen. I mean, I will say this, that, uh, and now we're just, we're all over the place. We're talking about the convention already. But I, I will say the thing about Joe Biden's speech is, I say with all my, political stump speech. all my vast political acumen, I will say that he, he is a little bit of a counterbalance, it seems like, to Barack Obama. Because he's not that polished. I mean, he's just not that good of a speaker. It was not a bad speech, uh, but he, he's just not all that smooth, and he doesn't deliver it. You know, he doesn't have, like, the kind of silver-tongued oration of, like, a Mario Cuomo or somebody. Uh, he's a plain-spoken thug. But that's the thing, right? Don't you think that's the thing? It's like he's there to he's there to talk to the great unwashed. He's there to talk to the vast, benign lap of America. Uh, and so he does that... He, he does that thing of saying, well, I'm in Washington, but I'm not of Washington. Except I'm saying it with even more polish than he was yeah, able to muster up last night. Yeah, he's got a type of politics. And he, of course, conjured up the image of, and I don't think this really happens, the image of the family sitting around the kitchen table wondering how they're going to pay that. I don't think people actually sit around the kitchen table and have those discussions. I think that only happens in talking point speeches and in sort of ill-conceived Republican commercials about health care. But, I mean, if there were financial problems in my home, it was never discussed openly. No. Oh, yeah. No. No, it was all hidden with shame and alcoholism, Tim. Uh, all right, so we'll talk about the convention uh, later on. Uh, one other brief note, which is that how great is Bill Clinton? Bill Clinton is just... He made me believe. Man, I, I, and, and the thing is, when you listen to Bill Clinton, you've got the two different parts of your brain going, right? Like you got... You have the intellectual side of your brain, which is, I guess, whatever, the, the left side. The left side of your brain is going, this is all lies. These are all the same shenanigans Bill Clinton has sold me time and time again. He can't say a single word that's true. Everything that comes out of his mouth is just deception. And then there's like the lizard part of your brain, look, like the, the sort of primal part of your brain that goes, by God, he's inspiring. It's cotton candy for the mind. I, I, I believe once again. Uh, Anyone actually believe in the system again? Well, and then they do that great, you know. We get, can make a difference. We really can. I, I kind of spent this whole week just sort of talking over and over again about how I have this great love for uh, evangelists and religious sort of figures who are able to get on television to sort of preach the gospel with a fiery kind of conviction. And those guys who have the big tent set up in Rust Bucket, Kansas, where they bring in the you know some guy in a wheelchair and then they hit him on the head and then he walks and then they say thank you Jesus and then everybody gives money. And I really do admire that when it's done well. And God. If Bill Clinton is not the political equivalent of a big-time tent revival preacher, man, I will eat my shoes. I mean, he really is. And then they do the most shameless uh, sort of nostalgia, uh, heart-tugging trick, but you know exactly why they do it, which is where they roll out that stupid Fleetwood Mac song that Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow. And Kristen, of course, was like six months old when this happened, probably. But that was, you know, his campaign it song. It makes you feel like you're, we're going back to the good old days, aren't we? And I remember being... Uh, at a radio station in 1992 in the newsroom, and it was late at night, it was on election night, 1992, when Clinton won the election, and he was doing that victory speech from the governor's mansion in Arkansas. And he comes out on stage, and they're doing that, you know, don't stop thinking about it, and he's waving at the crowd, and, I mean, as naive and stupid as this sounds, it really did feel like a, it felt like a new day, felt like a leaf was being turned over, like we'd headed down some new, more brightly lit street in the American city. Um... 
I and think I, we're ready for that again. But, you know, and I know it's all just fiction and a tissue of lies, yeah. and that it's yeah. all just one it's all one untruth piled on top of another. Mm-hmm. But you know, as Fox Mulder once said, I know I do I do desperately want to believe. And Bill Clinton is a guy who can come out and just for like the I don't know, nineteen or twenty minutes he spoke last night, you are more than happy to have the wool totally and completely pulled down over your entire face. I mean, that's a guy. You, you, you really, you do realize in a way why, why women just fall at that guy's feet. Mm-hmm. Because it's like you know, I'm a dude and I'm sitting there watching Bill Clinton going, "Tell me more, sweet lies." You could have totally sealed it by pulling out the saxophone again, too. Exactly, you know, mm-hmm. or he should have just taken out "Dancing on the Table" Ron Burgundy style. <laughs> <laughs> he should have just, he should have just taken out uh, just sort of a big graph. You know, and labeled like like your bank account, you know, 1995 now, you know, and just one line way up here, like the other line way down here. So, all right, well, that's it. We'll, we'll get more into it uh, later on. Uh, we'll get phone calls here in just a second. We'll break. Uh, after that, we've got CNN Radio correspondent Ed McCarthy, who's going to join us from the South. Uh, I got one observation, then one complaint, then we'll talk about Mad Men, then we'll break. Observation. I was making this upstairs, but it was so brilliant, I wanted to write it down. For a long time, the weak link in newspapers, and I mean physically speaking, was that you could not read a newspaper without getting black ink all over your hands. Or write it on the max without flapping it in somebody's ear. I mean, right, there was all these you know, newspapers that sort of cumbersome. Now, that's a problem that sort of business Darwinism seems to be taking care of all on its own. But, you know, but you'd be reading the newspaper in the morning, and the next thing you know, you'd have to, like, fix one of your shirt buttons or whatever, and then you got, like, a big... You know, it's like Godfather 2, you get a big black hand on your chest or whatever. And I think over time, they started using a different kind of ink so that you no longer got newspaper ink all over your hands when you read it. They need to do this with Cheetos because I don't know what that powder is that they put, and especially when we're talking about the flaming Hot flavor of Cheetos, which are fantabulous. I don't know what it is, man. It's like you, you haven't even opened the bag. It's like just taking it out of the machine, and suddenly your hands are just covered in this unholy glowing orange dust, which is then transferred onto everything you own. Uh, things I haven't even touched in the house are suddenly covered with this weird kind of radioactive film of like weird yellow-orange dye number five that has a sort of vaguely petrochemical smell to it. So I realize these are problems you don't have, Tim, but for Cheeto no, enthusiasts... I'm trying, to, I'm trying to relate to you. I have to be really careful when... <laughs> How's that working out? I'm trying to be observant and, and, and suck it all in, and I'm just sitting here listening. That's nice of you to do, I Tim. shouldn't have, I have interrupted be... with that. No, that's okay. I have to be careful with fake dives because they instantly stain me, my hands or anything for a week. It's I mean, horrible. I was thinking to myself, well, why do Cheetos do this? Because, you know, you can eat other snack foods that do not stain your fingertips. Um, you know, you can eat any number of uh, any number of things that come in a sealed bag from the chip aisle of the store, and your hand comes out looking the same way as when it went in. You know, Cheetos, there's some special kind of substance on there that gets on you and just clings to you. I mean, as somebody noted, you really expect David Caruso to be showing up and just, just sort of sussing out some murder plot based solely on the Cheeto dust that you've left everywhere. So in the year 2008, when we have sent men to the moon and we have heart surgery with lasers, why can't they make a Cheeto that I can eat without being covered in orange? All right, it's the end of that. Talk Mad Men real briefly, then we'll probably have to break. So I watched Sunday's episode of Mad Men last night, and this is the last week that I will be sort of behind the eight ball in this one. I'm going to start watching it on Sunday nights. I'm going to be caught up going forward. I'm saying for me, mm-hmm. pound for pound, uh, Sunday's episode of Mad Men, which is the fifth episode of the second season, may be the best episode yet, period. Hands down. I mean, it was just flat-out genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the episode was called The New Girl, and I wonder what that was about. 
But then you watch Mad Men from Sunday and you realize there's not one, not two, but three different meanings for that. Because there's uh, Joan Holloway, the office girl, who's a new girl because she's engaged and she's no longer going to be bonking Roger, what's his name? And then you got Peggy, who has remade uh, herself as a sort of equal with Don Draper. She's a copywriter now, a full-fledged one. And for a girl, that's really something. Exactly. Uh, and then you've got the new girl who is also that, what's it, Jimmy Barrett's uh, wife, manager, or whatever. So Showing a bit too much cleavage for her own good. i got to say, man, it was just such a stressful episode. That sequence when, and if you haven't watched Sunday's Mad Men, I suppose that's your tough luck now for listening. Uh, but that sequence when there's the car accident, and then Don Draper is sitting in the police station... And I mean, even I am sitting there on the couch. It reminds me of when I was watching, um, uh, when I was watching Match Point, which is that Woody Allen film from a couple of years back, where you're just feeling your stomach just twist itself into knots. I have a question on that scene. Back in those days, how did they find out your blood alcohol content? You know, that's a good question. I think they did the thing of having you blow into like a balloon that was treated with a chemical that changed colors. Okay, I'll believe you. You know, but I don't know for certain that that's true. That's I, what I was wondering about that scene. I think it is the case that back in the '60s. If they wanted to test your BAC, that you would blow into a balloon, and I believe the balloon was chemically treated, and it would turn a different color depending on the amount of alcohol in your breath. That being said, that might be an old wives' tale. I might have sort of gotten that only half right. Maybe we have right. a policeman listening. We usually have at least a couple listening. They can call us and tell us. It is, it is great, though, that they, they took the time to point out that in an episode in that sort of expository scene that the blood alcohol limit at that yeah. point was .15. So... And who knew they had them back then? I don't know. It was and uh, and the idea that you could just pay your ticket in cash to the cop, which and they never really clarified whether that was a bribe or not. But you got the feeling that it sort of might have been. No paperwork was exchanged. No. Um, and he was the only one in the police station. But just that whole dynamic between Don and Peggy in that episode, uh, and then they do the pullback or the flashback to him at the hospital. Two great lines from La uh, from a Sunday's Mad Men. Then we'll move on. One is when Don in the flashback is visiting Peggy in the hospital. And he does that, I see the phlegm is here right on time. He does that great thing of leaning into the hospital bed and he says, this never happened. It will shock you how much it never happened. And you just, I mean, he's just such a, an amazingly powerful character. Just the gravitas on that character is, is staggering. And then you go to the end of the episode where she says, thank you, Don. And rather than calling him Mr. Draper. And for, man, you talk about one syllable that really carries a punch. Um, you know, that at the end of the episode when she was calling him by, uh, by his first name, you know, which is a, you know, it was a sort of a daring thing for a lady to do uh, at that time. It was, it was a great episode. I don't know if it's the best ever, but I, I think it might be. I mean, for me anyway, just in terms of sheer. And then we had a listener who wanted to know, on what comic do you believe Jimmy Barrett to be based on Mad Men? Oh, I don't If anybody in particular. And I thought he might be sort of a, a pastiche of people. But, um, all right. Uh, we should probably take a break here. I don't have time to talk about this complaint I have from the convention, but there'll be plenty of time for that later on. We will return with Ed McCarthy around the corner. Later on, CNN Radio correspondent Dick Giuliano, the brand-new single from ACDC. We'll be giving away a copy of The Shield Season 6 on DVD. Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Indeed it is, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for coming by. This is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Kristen Bowie is furrowing her brow as though she is confused, puzzled, irritated, annoyed, or flummoxed. No, that started really, really hot, and I wasn't expecting it. You know, things are the, the, the audio vault, you're going to find the things that are put in at uh, any number of levels. There really is no... 
There is no sort of horizon there in terms of the uh, the levels those songs are put in. It's 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, we're going to talk to CNN Radio correspondent Dick Giuliano. Steve Kastenbaum will be joining us from Denver, Colorado. Uh, we'll do the Mystery Top 5. Uh, we'll go to the Ministry of Truth with Tim Riley later on today. And uh, it is High Concept Thursday as well. Ladies and gentlemen, from the South, welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. CNN Radio correspondent and all-around man about town, Ed McCarthy. Hello, sir. Rick. How are you today? Uh, my brother, I am rolling. Uh, are you, you are in Atlanta as we speak, correct? I am. All right. I understand you have Dick Uliano coming on? Uh, Dick Uliano is going to be joining us from Washington, D.C. here in just a uh, skosh to talk about, I don't know, somebody's being investigated for breaking some law or doing something in contempt of somebody in front of Congress. It's all very confusing. Do me a favor. When, yeah. when, when he's on, ask him uh, what a parapetic squirky is. It's, it's a rare bird. He'll, he'll describe it for you. Let me ask you this right now. Am I being used as a conduit for some inside joke that's being passed from you to me to him, uh, and then it's going to have a secret hidden meaning for him? You don't think that would ever be the case with me, do you? No, no, that's fine. Uh, okay, let me write it down. I'm going to I'm ask you to give this to me phonetically here. All right, P-A-R-A-P-E-T-I-C. Wait, hold on. Parapetic. Right. Uh-huh. Squarky, S-K-O-R-K-Y. S-K-O-R-K-Y. Parapetic squarky. And all I'm going to tell you, it's a rare bird. He can explain it. All right. There you go. This is like that time that um, let's see, there was something that happened with Lisa. This, you know, I'm just blocking it all out of my memory. There was a thing that happened with Lisa Desjardins at one point where I think uh, she had something. She had made some observation to the to the booker at CNN, the person who handles all of this booking of the correspondence on the show. She had made some observation to the booker that I think was sort of in jest about how I had made fun of her name being French or something, and I think it was sort of a running joke between between Lisa and I. Um, and it, she had made some comment to the screener, like, oh, that Rick Emerson, he won't lay off my name for being French. And so, like she said, it's a gag. And then I, I think I got some sort of scolding email uh, from CNN uh, about, like, please don't make fun of the Frenchness of Lisa's name. Really? So, yeah. No, because, because the, the person that she was giving, you know, that she was making the comment to didn't know that it was all kind of a goof. So... What I then did is the next time we talked... Who to was this, that person? You need to embarrass them on the air. I, who were, who were I don't remember. I think it might have been somebody who was sort of filling in for Tyler on a temporary basis. And so then, but what I made sure to do then is to make an observation later on in the week to the booker that said that uh, Lisa was working in way too many Melrose Place references into her news observations. And so then somebody, so then somebody pulled her and said, "Lisa, please stop referencing Melrose Place in your news." So I am no stranger to the uh, I am no stranger to the inside joke, my friend. <laughs> All right. So you are they going to be sending you down to uh, uh, you know you know uh, I, not initially. I just got back from Faye. Tropical storm Faye. I was down in Florida for that. Uh, you know, you know it's coming. I, w I was heading out uh, a trip to Detroit to cover a, a story out there, and and I was told today that trip is canceled. So so I know it's coming, but uh, I just don't know when. Yeah, and so they got, but it is it is sort of the season for this sort of yeah. a thing. So is it? Here's a dumb question. I'll tell you who's going. Amanda's going right now, I, and, and Jim Roop. So and I, they're, they're, they're heading down there right now. And I think Roop of all people. I mean, a guy who spends most of his uh, time in a locale where it's 78 degrees and sunny. That's good for him. I suppose it's good. You know what it is? It's uh, I, it is worthwhile and healthy to have a little variety in one's life. He, he likes that stuff. He likes to ride around in boats and stuff like that. It is all part of the rich pageant of our existence. So can they look forward? 
through the end of the year, basically, and say, like, look, we think we're going to have uh, nine of these things? Or, or really, does it just catch everybody off guard and you get a couple of days' notice? No, you get, no you, that's pretty much it. They start having meetings and running around and grabbing equipment and, and all kinds of things like that. So it, it's pretty much catch as catch can because you can't really predict when these things are coming. It is interesting to note that it's been three years since the last big hurricane came through there, and there was all that business of the, the levees that didn't hold and the things that were – allegedly put together uh, to sort of withstand all of those storms, exactly. and then they didn't. And so they've had three years to kind of get their act together. Is the general consensus that everything is going to be in place to withstand all of this? No, or absolutely not. And I was down there uh, when hurricane season began. If you remember, I did uh, all those series of reports on, you know, just how the Corps is doing, the Army Corps of Engineers, and you now people are reacting. And, you know, half of them won't leave. Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not just talking about New Orleans. I'm talking about other places. Right. Uh, people just don't want to go. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot for them to, to do it. They go, oh, we haven't had one like this since we had uh, Hurricane Donna or Hurricane this and that. And, and then we had Katrina. But, you know, this is these, but I'll tell you what, these things are nothing to play with. And when you get in them, even these tropical storms like the one Fay, that was really uh, a real pain with the wind and everything else and, and dangerous. I mean, look how many people that killed. That's, that wasn't even one with with high winds. It was horrible. It was a flooding event. So all of these are really something that when they give you the word, get out. <laughs> it's yeah, not good. It is interesting to note, too, that, uh, you know, not to make light of it, but when you get a huge hurricane like there was three years ago, the I think one of the unintended side effects one of the outgrowths of human nature is that that then is such a bad event that it gives all the people who sort of live there this benchmark by which they can judge things, and then it allows them to say things like, well, I'm not really going to. You don't know what a hurricane. You should have been here back yeah, three exactly. years ago. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I stayed through that. I got through that, so I figured I could get through this. And, you know, tomorrow is the three-year anniversary of Katrina. Right. I mean, what, what an irony. How's the timing for this one? Uh, you Gustav. Know, some, sometimes the universe does have a very well-defined sense of amusement, my friend. Yes, they do. Ah. Let's hope there's no looting and uh, other things down there this time. All right, my friend. As always, a pleasure. Enjoy your day. We will talk to you in the immediate future, I'm sure. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Ed McCarthy. All right. Uh, we'll talk to uh, CNN Radio correspondent uh, Dick Giuliano here in just a bit. Uh, Steve Kastenbaum coming up at uh, 1.15. Later on, Mystery Top 5, High Concept Thursday, perhaps the other Top 5, Birth of a Salesman, uh, Tim Riley, the Ministry of Truth, and uh, did I mention I have the new ACDC song? So we're going to try to get to that, like, within, I don't know, within short order. I mean, I could lie and say we're going to try and do it by the top of the hour, but that's, that's almost certainly not going to happen. Uh, what I will do, because we've got, this is a perfect slice of time here. we got a, just a tiny bit of time before we talk to CNN radio correspondent Dick Juliano. So I want to get to this. I forget exactly who it was that posted this uh, on my um, space page. Uh, somebody called yesterday, or possibly the day before. And they said, hey, Ray, go to, your, uh, go to your, your, your MySpace comments. I put up the worst song you've ever heard. And there has been a worst song that we've sort of toyed with playing, kind of a political worst song you've ever heard. Uh, and I still I still mean to get to that, but this one was so good slash bad, I kind of needed to get to it like now. Um, so this is from the Charlotte Church Show, which is a program that airs. I think you know, I guess on British television. Do they have other like non BBC channels in Britain, or is it all BBC? Yes, Channel Four. But is Channel Four like a government channel too, or no, is it like it, an independent? It is independent and they have commercials. It is a commercial entity. Let me ask you this: over because when I was uh, when I went to, to Britain, I didn't really have a lot of time to uh, you know we didn't do a lot of TV watching. We were out and about and looking at uh, looking at a bunch of crap that Jane Austen like walked by once or something, you know, or like some building made out of like soapstone that I had to be impressed by. 
but so we didn't really get a chance to watch a lot of TV. Are there a lot of channels on British TV? I would imagine they have a lot, like, on cable and satellite, but so not as many as we have. So there is cable television. I don't mean to sound daft. I just don't really know. Yep. A lot of Rupert Murdoch stuff. Because you always hear about, you know, There's in Britain. Sky and, and a few other ones. So they don't have, but they don't have, like, our proud, you know, American cable with its many hundreds of options. No. All right. Well, you know, that's why they're envious of us then. So, uh, anyway, so this is from the, Char- the Charlotte Church Show, which is a show that a variety program that airs on British television starring... Charlotte Church, who many people remember was sort of a singing prodigy when she was like eight, nine. I think she did a performance for the Pope when she was like ten or something. She was like an opera singer by the time she, I mean, I mean, she, I think was like in fourth grade or something, and she was doing these command performances for dignitaries. Uh, so now she's uh, grown up and she has a variety show, and she's scorchingly hot, by the way. Just like FYI, if you're playing the home game, uh, you know who's not scorchingly hot uh, is Amy Winehouse. You know who can't sing? Amy Winehouse. You know who they put side by side? The talented and scorchingly hot Charlotte Church and the ugly and now talentless Amy Winehouse. So, ladies and gentlemen, I give you a song that is only half bad, but the half that's bad is awful. This is a cover of Michael Jackson's Beat It. You're going to hear one good voice, one bad voice, and then we'll get to a Dick Iuliano here in just a just a short order. So, I'll let, go ahead and get started. You're going to hear Charlotte Church and Amy Winehouse back-to-back. See if you can spot who is who, huh? And I mean, Charlotte Church is an astounding singer, but you wouldn't even have to be a mediocre singer to make Amy Winehouse, you know, really throw this into stark relief. thought this was a good idea. She just needs to go away for a while. (laughs) I mean, it's fantastic. It's the best thing I've ever heard. I mean... I mean, it sounds like they're holding auditions on Skid Row. <laughs> really, what I was going to... That is also true. The observation that I was going to make... Let me just go back to the... Uh, let me go back to the beginning and actually play it from the top so you can hear something. Hey, Richie, what is it? Do we know what the deal with Dick Giuliano is? Uh, no. Was that him on the warm line? Uh, no. All right, then. Uh, so, let me go back to the beginning and you'll hear... I think uh, Charlotte Church is the first person out of the gate singing. And again... I mean, Charlotte Church is a classically trained opera singer, and she's immensely talented. But I mean, you could put me up there uh, next to Amy Winehouse, and really the difference would still be very stark. So you're going to hear the band, you're going to hear Charlotte Church, and then you're going to hear Amy Winehouse. And I want you to picture Peter Boyle dressed up in, like, top hat, coat, and tail, standing next to Gene Wilder, dancing on stage to putting on the wrist. That's what I want you to picture as you hear this. Just sort of a... Oh, 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 oh. 
kind of a... Imagine what Charlotte's thinking while this is going on. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And then they keep showing the backup singers, and the backup singers have got this ever so slightly puzzled look on their face, sort of a, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> we'll give uh, we'll give them each one more lyric here, and then we'll get to Dick Juliana. And Amy Winehouse, I know this goes without saying, she looks bad. Yeah, so there you go. Right, that's, uh, we'll get to, we'll play the, we'll play that like nine or ten thousand more times by the end of the week, just so you can, you can see the video, by the way, if you go to my, um, space page, it's on the comments, and I, and I apologize to, to whoever it is who posted it and called it, and I forgot your name, but I, uh, it really is, the video is great because it's just a slickly produced television show, great backup band, the band is really tight, good, very talented backup singers, Charlotte Church, obviously uh, an amazing performer, very, very attractive. And then Amy Winehouse is just like, like it's one thing to look like Keith Richards if you can open your mouth and like the, you know, the talent comes out. But that's not really talent so much as it is just sort of this weird, like vaguely mongoloid series of vowel sounds that begin and end nowhere with like a lot of gurgling you in the You couldn't even understand her lyrics. No. So there you go. All right. Ladies. It needs a little more practice, that's all. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. Uh, from the Hill, CNN Radio correspondent Dick Uliano. Hello, sir. How are you, my friend? Hi, Rick. Good afternoon from Washington. How is life? How are things? How is uh, how is the good news today? Well, it's really quiet here in Washington, which I've been kind of enjoying, you know, the sort of kicking back reading the newspaper while Lisa and uh, Steve do the heavy lifting uh, out there in Denver at the Democratic Convention. And then I'll uh, get to do the 18-hour days next week in St. Paul for the Republicans. Now, are you going is to – is the swanky uh, CNN grill going to be set up uh, in St. Paul as well? Yeah, so at least I'm hoping to get a decent meal this time. I was going to say, they keep showing uh, these big wide shots of the CNN grill on CNN television, and it really is its pretty fantastic. It's right there at the Pepsi Center. Yeah, yeah no, uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty good deal, uh, and uh, it's gotten a lot of attention. The newsmakers like it because, you know, they can sort of pop in and pop out, and I guess, I guess they can get tanked while they're in there because they've got, you know, a bunch <laughs> of taps going. They even have some beer with CNN labels on it. Is that true? Yeah, no, I'm not kidding. Yeah, there uh, some of the uh the breweries in that area are making uh, uh brews. Uh, now I don't know if it's uh, specially made for the convention, but they have the CNN label on it. I'm thinking political porter. Wait, no. <laughs> no wait, electoral ale. All right, you can have those ideas. You can have you do with those ideas what you will. Um I I will say well, never mind. It would be wrong of me to make this. I don't want to. Uh, let me put it this way. Uh, I will say that I was watching the CNN coverage late into the night, just sitting there on my sofa, uh, just wallowing in just the glory and splendor of the whole thing. And by the end of the night, it, it, I don't know whether it's, uh, again, because perhaps the booze uh, flows kind of freely or maybe just long <laughs> hours taking their toll on everybody, but I- I'm just going to say that Wolf Blitzer was flat-out goofy by the end of the evening. <laughs> There was a whole lot of, it was like, it, you, you watched Wolf Blitzer last night, 
And it seemed as though at all moments he was having to restrain himself from just devolving into a case of uncontrollable giggling. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that we sort of mention this in the same breath as the, uh, you know, the beer taps and the CNN grill. I don't know if they're related. You know, they, they, I know they close a lot of bars and such and liquor stores on Election Day. Not so with political conventions. Excellent. <laughs> uh, so what is this? I, and I know that a lot of these stories have come out, and it's sort of difficult to keep all the threads separated in my head. But I know that there were there was this story about a bunch of uh, presidential aides who were going to get pulled in front of Congress uh, because and there, and there was a lot of sort of contempt citations, either yep. being threatened or thrown around. And so I don't know is this is this something that's going to be resolved or are we going to get to see some folks squirming in the hot lights on television? Well, it seems like we are going to get that. You know, the House Judiciary Committee has been investigating the uh, for for a long time now the firing of uh, seven United States federal prosecutors. And you know, there was an internal investigation at the Justice Department where uh, the internal investigators definitely concurred there was political. Uh, politicization going on there uh, on the part of the Bush administration. So now, you know, the Congress wants to know, was it part of this uh, politicization process uh, when they fired these U.S. attorneys? So they want some former Bush uh, advisors to testify. Well, the White House said, no, we have executive privilege. You can't talk to them. You can't make them talk about this. Well, the federal judge ruled against the White House, said you cannot have executive privilege. These individuals can talk. The House Judiciary Committee has quickly scheduled, you remember the president's former lawyer, Harriet Myers, to Absolutely. come testify September 11th? And now the White House has raised the ante. Uh, they are asking the appeals court to temporarily block this appearance. So that's pretty much where it's at. You know, and of course, uh, growing up is sort of just the guy who is saturated by media in all of its various forms. Every time we talk about anything like this, I just picture Michael Corleone sitting there, uh, sort of leaning forward and you know, being interrogated by the members of Congress. And that's, <laughs> that's really what I always hope to see. I just always want to see some guy from the White House, like, plunk down in the middle of there and just having just be sort of being grilled until he just collapses into sweat and tears. So. You know, some of those hearings are pretty cool. Yeah. I have a friend, a very close friend who's a, an international consultant, but I noticed every time he traveled, funny things would happen with United States involvement in that area. I asked him time and time again, are you a spy? I mean, what's with you? Huh. Am I going to wind up at some point at some Senate hearing leading into the microphone? Senator, I didn't know at the time. Senator, I never knew Tom was a spy. <laughs> no, I actually have a friend of mine. This is a true story. I have a friend of mine who just, uh, he would spend, lo let me put it this way. Guys spend a lot of, dudes spend a lot of time fantasizing or daydreaming or brainstorming things that they will never really get a chance to use, but that they dream of using. In other words, guys will, for example, spend a long time creating lists of names for bands they will never form. Yeah, yeah. Guys, you know, I know a guy, he's got an envelope full of ten band names, and it's sealed so no one else knows what they are. He's never going to use them. But I, my friend Todd... He used to just sit there and dream up what he would say to members of Congress. I think it was specifically Ted Kennedy, if he was there having to testify and being interrogated. And he had this whole he had this whole sort of Corleone-esque speech prepared, where he was going to lean into the microphone and he was going to say, "And Senator, I say to you, shame on you for squandering the American people's resources. Shame on you, Mr. Kennedy." So you know, I'm just I always hope to see that. All right. Um, so you, are you going to be on tomorrow? Are you going to be traveling? Are you going to be, what is your deal tomorrow? Well, you know, I mean, see, we're pretty busy at CNN Radio. They're dispatching uh, people out of Atlanta going down to New Orleans yes. for this Gustav 
Uh, I'm heading to St. Paul in the other direction. Thank you, Lord. Uh, going up to the uh, Republican convention far from the hurricane. Uh, I was down there for Katrina, and, uh, you know, enough is enough of that stuff. Uh, so anyway, I'll be with the uh, the Republicans next week. You know, not 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 the best story, not as interesting, I think, as uh, Obama's convention. But uh, you know, let's see what happens. Let's see if McCain gets on well with the conservatives. If there are any divisions in St. Paul, uh, whether there are going to be any significant protests. So you know, we'll check it out. Uh, and one final, very brief thing: is it? Do you feel like McCain is holding back on announcing? Uh, the VP because he doesn't want anything confirmed in time for the Democrats to be able to work it into the convention tonight? Possibly. Uh, not a bad idea. I think one thing he's clearly been doing, releasing these ads on the Internet. He's got another ad he's kicking out tonight in some battleground states. At the very same moment that Obama makes his speech, is contesting the Democrats at every twist and turn. Uh, he knows that he's uh, perhaps the underdog, although, by the way, we talked about this the other day, and some of the polls now have McCain ahead, which is really remarkable. But uh, he is just uh, trying to steal as much thunder from the Democrats as he can. It's all very exciting. All right, my friend. And travel safe. We will undoubtedly Thanks, talk sir. to you very soon. Thank you. CNN Radio correspondent Dick Giuliano. I dig that guy. Hi, you're on the uh, Rick Emerson Radio program, sir or madam, as the case may be. Yeah, hi, Rick. Um, I was wondering if you could tell me what year Amy Winehouse graduated from Whitney High. I'm sorry, can you? I missed the middle part of that sentence. What year did Amy Winehouse graduate from Whitney High? Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't prepared with, uh, I wasn't prepared for comedy. Where did my, uh, where did my want want wah sound go? Does anybody know that's where that's okay. been? That's okay. It wasn't yeah. comedy anyway. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Hmm. Okay. Uh, hello, Tim. How are you? Do you have news for us? I do. Excellent. Plenty of it. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back after this. Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Uh, coming up later on today, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum as they're getting ready to uh, tear down the CNN grill in Denver, Colorado. Later on, the Mystery Top 5 High Concept Thursday. We'll be giving away a copy of The Shield Season 6 on DVD. More of the Amy Winehouse disaster and the brand new single from ACDC. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Ladies and gentlemen, it's 503 Just moments from now, we will start the new news hour with Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Coming up later on, Steve Kastenbaum from Denver, Colorado. More of the worst song you've ever heard. Uh, the mystery top five later on today, during which we will try to uh, give away a copy of The Shield, the entire sixth season on DVD. And Kristen Bowie now has loaded. I'm not going to play it quite yet, but... Uh, from uh, from my hands to Kristen Bowie's hands to the CD player, soon to your ears, uh, the new single from ACDC. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. New time is brought to you by Lace Auto Collision Centers. Find the collision repair. Go to Lace.com and find out what Lace can do for you. Well, it's pretty much a given that if you're driving around at 3 o'clock in the morning, you're probably drunk, more than likely. Uh, police say a wrong-way driver crashed head-on into a semi this morning may have been drunk. Uh-huh. It happened shortly before 3 o'clock on 84 westbound and I-5 southbound ramp. 
They backed up freeway traffic for nearly four hours. Now, somebody, is, is everyone alive or? Well, a 43-year-old Ken Burt was driving northbound in the southbound lane of the I-5. And although traffic officers have not yet determined whether he entered the freeway the wrong way, apparently he did. Well, of course he entered the freeway. Well, how else would... All right. I mean, I guess it's possible that he stopped and turned around in the middle of the highway for some reason and then started going back in the opposite direction, but that seems unlikely. Mm-hmm. What's miraculous is his injuries are not like, threatening, and he hit this thing head on. Uh, yeah, what was he driving? Does it say what uh, kind of car he was in? A Jeep Cherokee. Uh, well, see, maybe, uh, maybe there's something to be said for that, but uh, yeah, you had a truck, man, and that's like usually like a one-way ticket to a cigarette box. Yeah, the driver of the truck wasn't hurt. Well, yeah, the, I, the, you know, but we we have these stories, I think, with more frequency, really, than the act itself would would seem, you know, would make possible because, or whatever I just said, but you know what I mean? Because it's like it doesn't seem like it would be, no matter how, I'm not saying he was drunk, we don't know that that's the case, but let's assume theoretically that one is under the influence of one or more intoxicating substances. Even given that, it seems like you really got to go out of your way to get onto a highway going in the wrong direction. There's not a thing where, like, you just the wrong turn at Albuquerque or, you you know, you're in the wrong lane of the stoplight or something. My favorite one was the one that drove through the Max Tunnel all the way to Sunset. And then was not, was, and was not killed. Yeah. yeah. So God really, uh, God really does look out for some folks who maybe on the surface would appear to not be deserving of his help. But, you know, what are you going to do? All right. It's a desperate situation as uh, stranded hikers are close to falling off an 18-inch cliff. One of two hikers stranded on a narrow ledge in the North Cascades has made contact with his rescuers this morning and said the woman he's hiking with is in dire condition. The 33-year-old man and 27-year-old girlfriend are stranded on an 18-inch ledge. Oh, the ledge is 18 inches, not the cliff. Right. All right, okay. ledge. That's more of a curb. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes. Uh, the man and woman called 911 and said they were trapped about 6,000 feet on Spire Point, wherever that is. They're tired, of course, and uh, they're hypothermic. The terrain is very regular, and the uh, the two lost uh, most of their gear when they were climbing down, leaving them with only one sleeping bag and part of a tent. But how can you sleep on an 18-inch ledge anyway? Unless you're sleeping standing up. I don't know. And being very careful. Where so, is this at? This is in Darrington, Washington. I don't know where that is. I don't know. All right. Well, this is almost certainly another case of somebody going off the path in violation of all in violation of all laws, uh, both of self-preservation and of you know like the man mankind. So, mm-hmm. all right. And Lacey told me that she's going to Eastern Oregon hiking. Man, Lacey is just Lacey Turner who does um, who does our PSAs here, and who, by the way, is going to be uh, putting the Lost Cat Magnet PSA back in. So you will once again be graced uh, by the sounds of Andrew Hoffman talking about just don't have any Lost Cat Magnet. Uh, I talked to her yesterday. I'm like, Lacey, you got to put the Lost Cat Magnet thing. And I hadn't even got three syllables into it. I stopped by Lacey's uh, desk yesterday, and I said. Hey, uh, Lacey, the next time you're updating PSAs, can you uh, reload it? She goes, I know, I know, lost cat magnet, I'll get to it, Jesus. Lacey was like the most foul-mouthed person in the entire building, by the way. I mean, most of most things that Lacey says to me, like just, just even in passing, like at the water cooler, would have to be substantially edited for airplay because she's just relentlessly profane, which I do find kind of great. But she's going to be loading the lost cat magnet PSA back in, but she's, I guess, some kind of freakishly devoted outdoor person and she does a whole lot of like she i don't i don't think she ever climbed in like the, the nepal area or whatever but she's gone there and i know she does a whole lot of weird like like you'll say like she'll say well, rick what did you do this weekend i'll say well i sat on the sofa and let my muscles further atrophy what did you do well i climbed mount hood 
you know, with with no shoes and using only one rusty pickaxe. And or she's a stick figure of a woman. I mean, it's, it's really kind Full of, of energy, amazing. Though. You get the feeling also she's a very tiny woman. What they used to call um, the, the, what petite is that the word? Yeah. She's a very, but she's a small woman. But you do get the idea that she's probably one of those women that knows some freakish martial art and could probably snap your neck and kill you with a Q-tip or something. So anyway, don't screw with her. So we're talking about uh, Kevin Deckworth, the trailblazer who died of a heart attack. Yes. Suddenly, turned out there was a lady in his room at the time, and it was not his wife. Uh, apparently, he died from a heart failure, and uh, he was staying at uh, he was traveling around to 19 communities, talking to kids, and he was doing this all summer. Of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, he was staying at a resort, when apparently. Uh, a lady was staying with him at the room at the time of his death. But, uh, her, her name is Marcy. Her what? She declines to be interviewed. Marcy Duckworth? I, I, no. Oh. No. Mm. No. Okay. Well, well her last name is not Duckworth. I'm sure. her, her, her last name is not his wife. Uh, I'm sure. It's unclear why she was in the room. <laughs> or how she was connected with the blazer at the time. So to speak. <laughs> or maybe vice versa. Uh, well, okay. I'm sure there was nothing improper. No. No. They were talking about how to help children. Mm-hmm. Well, now you know. Here's Tim Riley. A federal uh, court has awarded four Portland men $19 million for discrimination they suffered working at a Glanstone dealership in uh, 2005. Let's see, there were four of these guys who said it was a hostile environment. I guess the judge agreed. This was a dealership that was uh, purchased from Scott Thomason. Remember the guy that used to be on license plates? The ghostly floating head of Scott Thomason, which lined the streets as though he were some sort of automotive deity. Then all of a sudden, he was gone. I had this whole thing at that time where, uh, you know, you would drive, and I I don't know anything about it, but you would drive down certain roads or, you know, the sections of the suburbs, and and really, it was like like some cult of personality, like banners lining the roads just as far as you could see in every direction. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And it would just be like his head sort of peering down, go, I am watching you. And I always thought that if we were all to be, you know, some sort of a volcano explosion or nuclear holocaust or whatever, we were all to be dead, that aliens or future archaeologists or whatever would come to the conclusion that we were all kneeling down before him uh, as a god because his face was just... And it wasn't the rest of it. It was like a disembodied head sort of looking down kind of Orwell style, like, I'm watching you buy a car. And, and like, then they open up the casket and his head appears. Oh, it's beautiful. That head always reminded me of Tom Peterson. Was, hold on, wait. That, that was from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Everyone's, everyone's still talking. Oh, okay. That's exactly what it is. Okay, I didn't know what you were talking about there yeah. for a second. All right. But Raiders of the Lost Ark reference. Yeah. Okay, it was weirding me out there for a moment. And you see a picture of his head and the German, oh, it's beautiful. And you know what happens after that. Yes, I do. Okay. And it w- would all be his fault. Hypothetically speaking. Uh-huh. So anyway, uh, these fellas who worked for the uh, Thomason dealership, uh, let's see, a couple of them were uh, 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 Caucasians, and uh, they were subjected to the N-word by a manager. And let's see, I guess some of the white guys you call rednecks. So it was equal opportunity harassment. And so this is what, this is wending its way through the court system? No, it's all done. They got $19 million. Oh, wow. Not bad for used car salesmen. More than they could have made selling cars. There you go. Uh, Chinese film crews in Portland, they shoot a segment, and they hope uh, it'll bring more Chinese people to Portland. It'll uh, try to lure the Chinese from seven wealthy provinces, newly clear for tourism for the U.S. These commies can come here now. The change in China's travel restrictions went into effect this past spring. The weak dollars made shopping in the United States attractive for residents of many foreign countries. Scott Klugman, 
A spokesman for the National Retailers Federation said several major cities have launched marketing campaigns to draw Chinese people in here to spend money. Wait, and so uh, let me understand. So is this the Chinese government doing this, or is this a local sort of is sort of business association that is then creating a film that will be shown in China to try to get Chinese tourists or travelers to come here and spend their money? Yes. I don't know what's going on in this story. Mm-hmm. It All just right. says a Chinese film crew. All right. Okay. So, so the Chinese, you're going to see them out there. But so this is sort of a, uh, the next time you travel, go to Portland, Oregon and spend your money. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, who can who can disagree with that sentiment? I mean, you can't miss them. How do you miss Chinese people in Portland? Right? I mean, is it, is, now, are travel regulations, is it sort of restricted, do you think, yeah, people who are in China trying to travel? Like, uh, you know, cause like in Cuba. They are red Chinese. Well, I'm just, you know, uh, from each according to his ability to each according to his need, Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh but I know, like, in Cuba, there's just no, you know, like, no traveling at all. Like, hey, when's the last time we went on a vacation? Never. Really? Well, if you had to vacation, where would it be? Across the street? Because you just, you can't go anywhere at all. Uh, so it does seem like maybe, I wonder if that, if that is sort of restricted to maybe a privileged or, uh, or wealthy or class. Probably. Uh, uh, I would imagine so. Oh, very confusing. All right. Well, just be on the lookout for the Red Menace, I suppose. Willie Nelson plans to speak in Salem at the opening of a local biodiesel plant. He's a longtime advocate of alternative fuel. The capacity of the plant, it's called sequential biofuels, has increased to 6 million gallons a year. Who knows what we're really talking about here? No one, Tim. Uh, so he's going to break some ground. He broke ground here last year, and he's coming back to see how they're doing. He's also performing tomorrow night at the Oregon State Fair. You know, I have uh, missed Willie Nelson in concert, I think, seven times over the course of the last, like, 15 years or whatever. Because I always find out either, like, the day of, there's no tickets, the day after it happened, or I have tickets and I'm ready to go and then I'm not able to go because something else. It's like how I've missed the Rolling Stones twice for the same. Once I actually had tickets, had tickets to see the Rolling Stones, and at the last moment, uh, our, this is a long time ago at a different station, different city, different state, and our, our nutcase uh, music director, who is also working on the air at the radio station, went on some sort of... Uh, some sort of a jag fueled by some sort of illicit intoxicant, and then just never showed up to work. And so then I called, you know, got called into work, and so I had to miss the Rolling Stones. Same thing with Willie Nelson. It, same thing with Johnny Cash, by the way. I missed Johnny Cash twice. So, I mean, you know, Willie Nelson, how old is Willie Nelson? He's got to be in his 70s by now. No, he's always looked like he's been in his 70s, even in his 20s. You know, you saw, you don't live to be like 300. You know what's kind of, you know, I just turned my own microphone off. You know what's kind of weird? What's when that? you see Willie Nelson back in. You know, like I guess what, the, like the mid to late fifties, like when he was for, like when he was writing for Patsy Cline and he was doing like Hello Walls. It's kind of like when you look back and you see uh, George Carlin in the very early sixties when he was like kind of just the, the button up sort of straight oh, laced skinny tie guy. Yeah, and he was just and you know, and I mean, you know, I guess he was amusing in a sort of really bleached out, uninteresting sort of way. But he just bears no resemblance or relation to the George Carlin of later years. I mean, even the George Carlin of the 70s was vastly different. So it is with Willie Nelson, because you know, you picture Willie Nelson now, he's just, you know, braids and a bandana, and he, you know, doesn't have a shave, and he's high all the time. And you look back then, and he's very, you know, doing everything they could to sort of present him in a very, very polished and marketable way to the American public. Here's another thing about Willie Nelson. Here's a great story I heard him tell once, that when he wrote, I think it was, Hello Walls, which is a great song, one of the definitive country songs, especially from that era, you know, he wrote that song and he sold it for 50 bucks. $50 guy's like, uh, it's a great song. Hello, Walls. It's, uh, what do you think, uh, 50? 50 bucks? And he's like, all right. And so the guy gave him 50 bucks. Bam. The guy owns the song. And the great thing about Willie Nelson is, you know, for, I don't I want to just keep falling back on the thing that he's stoned all the time. I mean, he, I get the feeling he probably is. But 
he just seems to have just such a laissez-faire attitude to just, like, the whole thing. And I don't think it's because he's vastly wealthy, because I think it took him forever to dig out from underneath that IRS thing, yeah. didn't he? I mean, it was like he was like $12 million in debt or something. So I, I really, even at this point, I don't know that he's all that flush. I mean, maybe he is. But he just has such a sort of zen attitude to the whole thing. Because I saw him being in there like, hey, you know, so Hello Walls has made $6 billion and you sold it for 50 bucks. You know, like, how do you feel about it? And he goes, that's ah, okay. I can always write another one. And then he just sort of had this kind of like peaceful sort of Mr. Miyagi thing going on. So anyway, well, God love him. Well, if you haven't taken a bath since like 1977, what do you care at that point? <laughs> All becomes relative. So a Vancouver landowner says she's looking to legal action about her next-door neighbor who impersonated her and ordered a 100-year-old fir tree cut down on her property without her knowledge. The homeowner is renting out the property, and her tenant, Stephen Hawkins, called to tell her that he came home to find one of the trees in the backyard had been cut down. This tree is in the backyard. By a tree-cutting service. I can't get to the curb. They I... gave nobody permission to cut this tree down. The, uh... Sorry, such a cheap joke. It was so beneath me, and yet... Well, it's so appropriate. The low-hanging fruit. Uh, so anyway, somebody's in trouble. All right. You're probably wondering what the uh, elephant baby is up to. Mm -hmm. We haven't talked about her in a couple of days. This is a press release courtesy of the Oregon Zoo. Are we about to hear propaganda? Yes. All right. Attention, general public. At 2... This is from uh, yesterday. At 2.35 p.m. today, Rose 2 and her new baby elephant were given... Visual access to Shine and Chandra, the other female members of the zoo's Asian elephant herd. The elephants are met by means of a howdy gate, which allowed them to see each other, but did not give them uh, access to each other's space. The meeting seemed calming to Rose, too, who appeared to be comforted by the presence of her companions in the herd. And indeed, the entire meeting was a much quieter affair than keepers had anticipated. Do you suppose the other elephants sort of look at Rose, too, the way that... I mean, we've had this discussion, especially if you ride any of uh, any of the various elements of Portland's public transit system. And don't get me wrong, Portland does have a great Portland has a great public transportation system, sort of in the abstract. You know, this is sort of on paper. Yeah. It really is just any number of the patrons of Portland's public transit. You know, it's like Dante Hicks says in the Clerks. You know, this great he says this job would be great if it wasn't for the customers. You know, Randall or somebody said that. And so it is, I think, with uh, maybe certain places on the Max Line. But you know, but I wonder if, if the other elephants look at Rose too, the way we look at any number of women who ride the public transit system around here, or maybe. Women who perhaps linger around downtown asking for spare change so they can either A, buy formula, or B, cigarettes, or quite possibly both. I wonder if the other elephants just look and go, you know, that rose, too. You know, we told her she ought to get her tubes tight. You know, she you know, she does not even know who the father of that baby elephant is. And, you know, it could be any number of people. You know, I've seen some of the other elephants coming by, and let me tell you, they look like trouble. So I don't know who she thinks is going to help raise that child because she thinks I'm going to come over and help raise it. She's got another thing coming because I told her, I said, you don't want to have another child until you can get yourself a job and figure out what you want to do with your life. And you do not want to go down the same road as your mom and dad did because we all know how that ended up. What with Jimmy still in the state prison at all? So I told her that she really ought to be on a diaphragm or something. And if you can't get it taken care of, you can go down to the Planned Parenthood and they'll take care of it for nothing. Then you don't have to have a child. But she doesn't listen and I try to help. And, you know, I'm just going to wash my hands of it right now because I just don't want to be, I got enough to do with my own kids and what with the other kid with special needs i just don't have time to be handling rose two and all of her drama you know and then meanwhile rose two is over there like beating the kid with a hay bale or something so anyway there is a british cartoon that does exactly that on bbc america it does what 
all the animals talk about each other behind their backs. Is that true? Yes. Why That's is it? I thought you were getting this. Why one. can't I come up with anything original? Ah! That's what I thought you were mocking. Cruel fate. Why do you mock me? No, I wasn't. I. No, I was just a. Uh... I was just saying to myself, hey, what do you suppose the other elephants would say about Rolls, too, if they could talk? Because <laughs> I thought it was funny. Apparently, it's so funny that it's been done a long time before this by the BBC. Mm-hmm. Beaten to humor by the British. That yes. hurts. All right, here's Tim Riley. Yeah, it used to be on every day. It was like a half-hour cartoon. It's like a, it's like a look who's talking, uh, but with animals. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. All right. I was really just modeling that on conversations uh, I hear in my own family, so... Oh, uh, that- I hear in my own head. <laughs> well, that too, Tim. Right. Quit looking at me! Here's Tim Roddy. So, uh, Dolly Parton is laughing off reports that she's dead. She wants us to know she's alive. Uh, apparently, somebody spread a rumor that she had a heart attack and died. Her death was a hot search on Google last week after uh, reported death was announced over loudspeakers at a high school football game. The rumors of her death, uh, supposedly at a Tennessee hospital, were eventually reported by the Fox News. Guess how old Dolly is now? Dolly Parton is, wait, don't tell me, 62. Yes, correct. Yeah! Ding, 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 ding. Uh, uh. All right. She's uh, currently at work at the Fall Broadway musical production of 9 to 5, based on her 1980s film of the same name. Good for her. You know, she really is. I'm glad to see that in recent years, Dolly Parton has really started to get her due. Uh, because there was, she had sort of an interesting bell curve of a career, or maybe not even that. I mean, it might be sort of multiple bell curves, because when she first came out, you know, she was, in fact, didn't she even have a song called Dumb Blonde? Because she was considered to be such, I mean, people sort of considered that she was just some brainless, uh, you know, good-looking girl who was just sort of, people viewed her as a creation of Porter Wagoner. Mm-hmm. Now I'm talking about her like she's dead. But, and then she worked very hard to establish herself as an independent singer-songwriter. She broke away from Porter Wagner, went out and started doing her own thing. And then she had a lot of uh, huge success. But then I think it sort of, I don't know, it kind of fell underneath the radar maybe in the mid to late 80s or with the sort of ascendance of Garth Brooks and that whole school of country. She got really overshadowed because there wasn't much of a market for her kind of country. And she became almost like a, a running joke of the country music industry during right. that time too. And then she, you know, she, you know, she did what you got to do. She went back to basics and started sort of building it from the, from the ground up again. You know, and she has Dollywood and she has uh, all that stuff. But then she started recording these like really great bluegrass albums, which were, you know, weren't really intended to be crossover successes and weren't really intended to be commercial. But they what they really did is they solidified. Uh, you know, her standing in the musical community, somebody who is vastly talented. So I think, you know, I'm glad that I'm glad that things have kind of come around for her because she she really does get overlooked uh, when people list off the great country songwriters of all time. I think people would be really surprised to know how many songs Dolly Parton has written and or performed and or given to other people, uh, you know, that you just that you know by heart. Well, good for her. So uh, she is now still alive. All right. Britannia. What is this? Oh, yeah. This is from Creature Comforts. Rule Britannia, Britannia rules the waves. This is a mouse Where singing into a microphone. Never, never shall be slaves. Rule Britannia. Now you sing more of it, you can feel your fists. Why are you playing this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just trying to show you that that was an original idea. Okay, so, now, but this, is a, this appears to be an animated rodent. Yes. Or a claymation rodent. Oh, see, so this is different, though. See, I thought what you meant. I, see, I was all confused when you were showing me this video just now. Mm-hmm. This is the this is the British show you're playing me. What you can't yeah. see, but what it is a, a video clip of a small CGI or claymation rodent, sort of a Wallace and Gromit rodent, singing "O Britannia" into a microphone. 
I thought what you were talking about was a thing where they had footage of, like, actual animals in a zoo. No, 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 no. And then they were, like, overdubbing, like, what do you suppose the cheetah is thinking? You know, or whatever. No, they actually speak. All right. Well, see, so then I can still exploit my idea here in America. Is my idea is perhaps different enough that I can wring some dollars out of it by aiming for the uh, aiming squarely for the middle of, of this country. An obituary for Steve Jobs has been accidentally published by Bloomberg. The story is marked, full for release, do not use. It was sent in error to the news service's thousands of corporate clients. The stock obituary was published momentarily after a routine update by a reporter and was immediately deleted. Jobs was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2003, but there is no suggesting that the uh, it was uh, recent news. The obituary contained blank spaces for Jobs' age and caused wow. it to be inserted. That is so creepy. Well, first of all, because he had that pancreatic cancer in 2003, which, because he is, and I love Steve Jobs, he is obviously, I mean, he's such a control freak about information and marketing and how things are sort of positioned. That, you know, he never told anybody about that until it was already in remission. And I don't know if that ever, I don't know if pancreatic cancer, if it ever really goes away or if it's one of those cancers that's always I, I sort of just. I think it's like the worst type you can get. It's, it's the bad kind of cancer. Yeah. It, but, you know, there's some of the cancers, like you say, I'm cancer free, it's gone. But then there's some of that cancer where it's like all you can really do is like beat it back, you know, but it's always kind of lurking. Control and it for a while. It's, it's, hanging, it's hanging back, uh, you know, uh, just sort of getting stronger in the shadows, waiting to punch you when you're asleep. But he didn't even tell anybody he had it until it was already sort of taken care of. Mm-hmm. It, it, must, it must be a special kind of creepy, though, to in, when something like this happens. If you're a celebrity, when an obituary for you is accidentally published, that's got to be a special level of, of surreal, you know? You're just sitting at home. I mean, imagine you're just sitting at home, you're Dolly Parton, and on fuck Dolly Parton, dead at the age of, you know, and then you start to wonder if it's like some big Twilight Zone episode, and you've been dead the whole time, and you're just waiting for the right the driver to come by, and, you know, you, you get on the car like a hitchhiker, and you go to heaven or something. Also, this, a small, uh, a small version of that is if you've ever registered something with the Copyright Office, mm-hmm. when you register something with the Copyright Office, uh, you know, you fill out the paperwork, and then, you know, it takes like... You know, nine, ten weeks or whatever for the process it. And then they send you back the completed copyright form, which is on file with the U.S. Copyright Office. And it says, you know, like, name of the work, blah, 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 blah. What is the nature of the work? Well, it's a, you know, it's a book, blah, 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 blah. What is the title of the book? Da, da, da. And then it says author's name, and your name, date of, date of birth, da, da, da. And then it has the date of death, and it's blank. And it's really creepy to look at that and realize that someday in the future, whether it's tomorrow or ten years from now or 50 years from now, there's going to be some Bob Cratchit guy who's going to be sitting there with a stack of things in his to-do box. Oh, and he one sits of... at the death desk. Yeah, yeah, right. And someday your copyright form is going to be in the inbox for that guy's, like, Tuesday morning, and one of his jobs will be filling in the name of Rick Emerson's death. You know, it's just, it's all very weird. All right. It's Tim Riley. The rent on the New York City apartment where Heath Ledger died has spiked. It now costs $26,000 a month. That's $26,000 a month. They're at the three-bedroom uh, Manhattan lot where his body was discovered in January instead of the usual $22,000 a month. That's what he was paying. The additional $4,000 was apparently tacked on for now that the apartment has a certain notoriety about it. The loft above the space where Ledger lived was featured in the romantic comedy Music and Lyrics and rents for only $70,000 a month. Why, that's a lot more, isn't it? Yes. So, uh, boy, who would want to live? You'd have to have, like, three dozen roommates. I mean, I... People- I just don't even, you People know. live like roaches in New York. And when they say that it's gone from 22 to 26, I mean, you wonder, look, if you have 20, I guess I would say this. If you have $22,000 a month to spend on a loft, mm-hmm. you've got $50,000. Why stop at 26? Do you know what I mean? 
I mean, they get, clearly the market doesn't max out at twenty six. What if you got an additional four thousand dollars to throw down? Seems like you got an additional ten thousand dollars to throw down. Really, there is there is no there is no business probably in this. You probably make less money as a drug dealer than you do as a landlord in New York. I mean, I would like to know somebody ought to do a little sidebar story. I think I might have suggested this to Steve Kasten, but I don't think he ever did it. Somebody really ought to do a sidebar story about a piece of New York rental property, such as a loft or even like, man, he's got like dingy little like tiny studio apartments in Manhattan that are like four grand. Somebody really ought to do a piece where they try to figure out if those things are worth their weight in gold or less or more. I imagine the taxes are crazy on those. Oh, I mean, it's just it's it's got to be staggering. So I really would like to know if a Manhattan loft is, in fact, worth its weight in gold. I think it might be worth more than its weight in gold. That's just a guess, but I don't really know. I mean, if you were just to buy it, you know, to, to own it and make it your own. Do so. you the Olsen twins own that loft? Yeah, I, I believe I so. so. I think so. They owned it or they had a loft near there or something because there's a whole thing where they were going they were, they were to they were gonna interrogate one of the Olsen twins about that, right? Like I was so, I would just say. Can you imagine them being I think the housekeeper actually <laughs> called one of the twins. The it was the masseuse, I think. Oh really? Who called okay. one of the twins? Is like, hey, I got this dead guy here. I uh, look, I got to be somewhere else in ten minutes, and there's a corpse. If you can just, but yeah, Tim would. Tim totally just touched on something. I was, and I guess they've dropped it now. They've closed the investigation because. Just my opinion. It seems as though the appropriate amount of somebody, dollars. Somebody made a phone call and put a stop to it right away. Exactly. I think uh, I think the appropriate envelope was handed from one person to another, and the investigation went away. But man, I just for just a couple of days when it looked like they were going to be interrogating, I think it was Mary Kate Olson. Just the image of her just in a, in a squad room basement with Andy Sipowitz just slamming her fingers in a drawer until she confesses. I mean, it was just, that was the sweet succor that got me through a couple nights. Just, you know, just, uh, just imagining, you know, Dennis Franz coming into the room with a pair of jumper cables going, look, you're going to tell me right now. So, well, there's always the future. Here's Tim Riley. Let's go to Florida, shall we? I don't have my sound. A regular customer at an Oscala gas station robbed the business, even though employees easily recognized her since she comes in every day. The clerk told police 27-year-old Leela Scorey came into the store and filled out a Western uh, Union order form. Several minutes later, she uh, warned the clerk that she had a gun and took at least $40 in the register. $40? $40. (laughs) The store's owner was able to identify her because he had a copy of her photo ID. Of course. A copy was made... (laughs) When she had her paycheck cashed there, <laughs> she cashes her check at this uh, gas station, you see. Uh, she was arrested and charged with two counts of uh, robbery. She's being held on $12,000 bail after getting $40. You would think at some point stories like this would lose their sort of comedic punch, but they never do, you know? All right. I wish stupidity was painful. This, uh, Thank goodness for Florida. This email says, uh, hey, you know, the conceit of the Creature Comforts show, which is the show you were just playing, mm-hmm. is that they do, okay, so this is how they do that show, Tim. They do man-on-the-street interviews. Mm-hmm. So they go out on the street and they just talk to, uh, you know, like uh, Johnny Lutchbucket of, of London. And then they do claymation animals doing that talking. Right. They take the actual conversations and work the animals around them. Okay, see, that's interesting. That's what I thought you were talking about. Now, see, but I we were we were sort of uh we were on different wavelengths there. We were talking about different sort of versions of the same thing. Okay. Uh he says it's very funny. It did air in the US on CBS, but then got swiftly canceled. Well, it's on what, CBS? It's I started on BBC America. Apparently it is from BBC, uh but he says it did air in the US for a time on CBS, but then was swiftly canceled. Uh it's from Ardman Animation who 
Okay, I spotted who did Wallace and Gromit and who did Chicken Run. So, all right, there you go. So there. Another Florida story. I'm not even going to try. Well, it seems that they're finding uh, chewed up bodies out the Florida Keys. And people are baffled about this. The only thing the authorities in the Keys can say for sure is they found four dead bodies up the coast. The men have no identification. They believe they started out together, perhaps in the same boat. It's not easy to determine who they are, much less how they wound up in the water. They may have been there, say, three days. Uh, the body showed signs that the sharks had eaten them, or most of them. Yeah. So, uh, were they coming from Cuba? It's impossible to know. Mysterious doings are nothing new to the Florida Keys. An island chain in the state's southern tip. Illegal immigrants from Cuba are found waiting for a ride to Miami by the side of a 110-mile-long road that leads from the southern tip to the U.S. to the mainland. Hundreds of people every year are brought in by paid uh, smugglers, and they're usually in uh, boats. Cubans who make it to dry land are permitted to stay because they're Cubans. Despite a crackdown on human smuggling, the Coast Guard said the traffic is still very busy. Now, wait a minute. Let's let's back up for a second. First of all, not that I really care because I don't live in Florida, but wait, so if you are a Cuban who makes it to Florida... Yeah, you get to stay free. is Is that sort of just a... Is that just a an understanding, like a de facto thing, or is that actually part of the law? Yeah, you have to make it to dry land, and then you're like a political refugee. Mm-hmm. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, it's their state. They can run it the way they want. I, just, I didn't know that. I thought it was, I guess I sort of thought that Cubans who came here, I was going to say illegally, but I guess it's not. But you know what I mean? Cubans who just got in a raft and floated over somehow. Uh, I thought it was a whole thing where they were, I thought it was another kind of illegal immigration, but it was... It, but it was treated as illegal immigration is treated in, in many sort of border states. That it's just sort of, you know, kind of a what-can-you-do attitude. And that they had, you know, the resources were... Well, then what was... I can't believe I'm about to say this. So what was the deal with Alien Gonzalez then? Why was it... Why did they why did they come and grab him and kick him back there? I don't remember what the story was about that. All I remember is I got really oh. tired of hearing the words Alien and Gonzalez back Well, because he had parents in Cuba. And the uncles tried to keep him here. But I, didn't he come over with his mom, though? Isn't that the deal? I don't remember how he got here. I, I thought he's... I remember, like, a parent passing away on on the raft or whatever they were on. And they're, like, fl- floating over on a door or something, yeah. and then the mom... Okay, maybe that might explain that, because if the mom died on the way over, and then they, uh, and then they you know, they grabbed him, and they then they sent him back um, uh, to uh, the Cuba with his dad or whatever. Uh, just real quick, uh, before we do anything else, let me just say this. Speaking of sharks... If you go to uh, rickemerson.com, you scroll down to almost the bottom, uh, you will see a blog entry called, well, it just says from Todd the Corpse. Uh, Our good friend Todd the Corpse sent me one of the most terrifying things I've seen all month. It is, I believe it is called a goblin shark, and it's a real creature, and this is, I think, from a Japanese television program. It is a Japanese science program, like a sort of National Geographic kind of thing. It is some underwater video of a creature called a goblin shark, and it is a shark. I'm going to tell you this. You want to go there. You want to watch it. You want to be pulled back from the monitor a little bit because otherwise it's going to be even more terrifying than it already is. Watch it and let it get about halfway through, and you'll see exactly why this creature needs to be destroyed with fire and then nuked from orbit. I mean, it really is one of those. Nature is always thinking of new and different ways to kill us. Uh, there's, are you watching it? Yeah. That's horrifying. Did you see you know to see the thing yeah. I'm talking about? That unique, it looks like the, yeah. That you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's like shark as designed by H.R. Giger. Yeah, that ain't right. So, uh, you stay away from that thing. Nature hates you. I went scuba diving with sharks before. What kind of sharks? Lemon sharks, but 
Uh, and these uh, lemon sharks are they? They're, they're not the they're not the the killy kind, are they? Well, they if they want to be, they can, but they they're typically they hang out around the bottom and they're pretty shy. So. All right. Yeah, I don't ever, I don't ever trust that though. Isn't that a lie that they tell you that all kinds of things? You know, they're more frightened of you than you are of them, and that's not true. Uh, I'm always more frightened of them. They're friends of man. See, but uh, as long as they're in your mouth. <laughs> They, but they try, but they say that about lots of things, right? They, they'll say that about, they say that about, spiders. they say it about spiders, but they say it about killer whales. And the, the story always starts the same way. They'll be talking about it on the, you know, the Discovery Channel or something. And the narration, which is always from some sub Jacques Cousteau, sub Peter Benchley kind of guy, they'll come on and go, the stories always start the same way. Despite their fearsome reputation, these animals are really quite gentle and easygoing. Whatever. Most of them are vegetarians, seeking only to eat scraps of kelp and plankton from the sea. And then that is always immediately followed the next day by us having a story about some uh, orca at SeaWorld that came to work in a bad mood and, like, battered some handler to death, like, in front of thousands of horrified children. You know, what's particularly horrifying is that the only coast that, the only sharks that can live off the coast of Oregon are great whites because <laughs> they can stand the temperatures off that coast. See, why do you got to tell me things like this? All right. Well, no. our coast really isn't very much fun anyway. No. Uh, people you know, are always drowning off it. Yeah. But no, I mean, the, the, our coast, the Oregon coast is not a good place to go. I mean, it's, it's, it's either sharks or boats running aground yeah. or guys with knives or logs. Uh, and those logs, man, you don't want to discount the thing about it is, has anybody really examined the possibility that maybe logs themselves, A, have some sort of self-awareness, they are in fact sentient beings, and that they're evil? Because logs seem to kill people all the time. When is the last time we had a story in the news involving a log or group of logs in which it wasn't killing anybody? A nice log? Never. Log, friend of man. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... They roll downstairs, alone or in pairs, and onto your freaking car. And so we had the lo- did, did we just have logs killing somebody in in Florida the other day? No, it was here. Was it a logging truck that it killed was a somebody here? Truck. Somebody ran into the back right. of a logging truck. And then people are always at the coast, and it's like, uh, you know, hey, where's Jimmy? Well, Jimmy's wrapped around a log. Whenever I'm at the coast, I stay far away from the water. I'm, that's the only water I'm scared of is the ocean. And then Steve Kastenbaum had that story the other day about the most dangerous jobs, and, like, number two was logger. Why? Because log is in the word logger. So, I'm just saying, logs and sharks. Stay away from them. Let's take a break. We'll come back after this. Uh, We are absurdly late, so we will take a break. We will return. More news from Tim Riley around the corner. Later on, today's entrant in the Birth of a Salesman contest. We'll play the new ACDC single. We'll do the Mystery Top 5. Steve Kastenbaum from Denver, Colorado, uh, wrapping up the Democratic Convention. And your phone calls. Say there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program right here. Don't go anywhere. Hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into whimsy. It is uh, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Coming up later on today, we'll talk to the next entrant in the AM970 Birth of a Salesman Contest. Uh, Steve Kastenbaum coming away from Denver, Colorado. Uh, later on, we'll do the Mystery Top 5. More from Tim Riley in just a second. Uh, your phone calls. High Concept Thursday. We're going to try to give away a copy of The Shield. Season 6 on DVD. Don't miss the final season of The Shield, which premieres this Tuesday, 10 p.m., only on FX. And pick up The Shield Season 6 in stores 
August 26th from Sony Pictures, Home Entertainment, so on, so on, etc., and so forth. Oh, just one final note about Mad Men, uh, which I know everybody else saw on Sunday or quite possibly Monday, but which I saw last night because I am lame. Probably the other great line from Mad Men on Sunday. So there was there was the moment when Don is talking to Peggy and he says, it will shock you how much it never happened. There's that. There's the moment when Peggy calls uh, Don Draper by his first name. And then there was the golden moment when the new girl, who's like Don Draper's new secretary or gal friday or whatever and all the dudes are sort of coming by like moths to a flame to sort of ham-handedly hit on her and the blonde guy shows up the ken cosgrove guy and she says you know she says okay and who are you and he says what's your title title i'm ken cosgrove accounts and it sounded for all the world like that guy going ned ryerson so it's just uh it's all kinds of wonderful here's tim riley the two-headed baby has died the parents can afford medical care. A two-headed baby born in Bangladesh has died after his parents took him home because they couldn't afford the hospital. The boy named Kyron was born at a clinic about 85 miles from the Bangladesh capital of Dhaka. Uh, he weighed uh, 12 pounds, one ounce. He was under a police guard at the hospital because officials felt the baby and the mother were at risk. From the anxious, uh, there, there was a crowd of 15,000 gathering outside to see him. Uh... So, apparently, maybe he weighed 12 pounds because he had two heads. The baby was a unique case with one body, two heads. It had one stomach, and he was eating normally with both mouths. That's two mouths to feed. Uh, he had, uh... <laughs> Too soon. And we do have two mouths to feed, so it's mm -hmm. very difficult right now. So, anyway, do you suppose right now there's... Where was this at? Bangladesh? Mm -hmm. It's a poster child for... For healthcare, I think everywhere. I was just going to say, do you Hillary Clinton. Do you suppose there's a, a cause? A Bangladeshi uh, politician was a. And when I was in Bangladesh, I met the mother of a two-headed baby, and she said to me, "I cannot take care of both heads, only one." And when I am elected, all heads of all babies will be taken care of. Yes. Come on, that's funny. I think that's exactly what happened. Sons of bitches. Uh, here's another question, and I mean this sincerely. And that's a statement I have to use like 500 times a week because I know that it can be difficult to discern when I'm joshing. But why are there no, why always the two-headed babies in Bangladesh and never here? Where is the American two-headed baby, I ask? When is the last time a baby was born in America with two heads? Anybody? Never. You don't ever remember that happening. No, no. you just hear about them having like eight kids at once. That's the thing. There's just, you know, there's some woman well, with... That's as close as we get. With, with some spastic set of ovaries in Kansas just shoving kids out of her like she was a clown car. That's all we get here, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't get... I'm just saying it doesn't... It, we don't really ever get the interesting babies here. Or like that baby... Was it also in India, the kid with eight legs? Yeah. in India, yeah. too? Mm -hmm. Is there something wrong with India? Is there something going on in that country, maybe some kind of testing that we're not being told about? Because it seems like a disproportionate number of babies with extra things uh, being born there. But, you know, maybe that's just my perspective. And uh, two other observations, really only one. I don't mean to sound flip or to make light of this, but when they say that the baby you know, died because they couldn't afford the, the health care, mm -hmm. doesn't really seem – it seems like the expiration date on a child with two heads is probably necessary. Yeah, but that's probably – you know what I mean? That road is probably pretty short to begin with, because it's like you can't, you can't grow up and just have two heads. I mean, that doesn't ever happen. You can't do that. Well, as long as you have two hats and two umbrellas. <laughs> That's Tim Riley who said that. All right. <clears throat> you don't want to have one head being jealous of the other head. Mm-hmm.
You're listening to KCMD Portland, a proud part of the CBS radio family, the network of Edward R. Murrow. Here's Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. But if you have the candy bar, make sure it's a, it's a mom's bar because it comes in two pieces. <laughs> that would be good product placement, I think. I suppose. But the baby is no longer with us, so we'll, we'll It's all know. theoretic. It's we'll, an academic discussion. We'll have to wait really for the next I... two-headed baby to come along. Oh, but you get the feeling it's just going to get any day now. Mm-hmm. I mean, Any so... day there'll be another two-headed baby. Hey, whatever happened to that, uh, you know, and let me just tell you this. Back when I was in, uh, back when I was working in Utah, there was a baby born with two heads, and that was in India. How about doublement gum? All right. This is Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. They could be like the new doublement twins. Well, we don't know if they're identical heads. Firefighters rescued a woman from underneath an overturned golf cart near Brush, uh, Brush Prairie. Apparently, the woman somehow became trapped under the golf cart at the Cedars of Salmon Creek. They went on to say the firefighters could not reach the lady with her truck, so they put her in a golf cart and came to her rescue. She was near the 12th hole. The 55-year-old woman was not identified. Well, they didn't want to embarrass her. She was transported to Legacy Salmon Creek Hospital. She had a pain in both ankles, her right hand, and her wrist. She will golf again. By the way, we have an email here from someone who's clarifying uh, this business of there being no American two-headed baby. Uh, it says, Rick, if you go to YouTube, you look up Brittany and Abby. They are a two-headed girl. I don't even are know they if still that, around? I don't know if that grammar is correct or not, first of all. They are a two-headed girl. Uh, he says, uh, there is fantastic video of them learning to drive, taking tests, etc. They insist constantly that they are just like everyone else. This is not true. Well, it doesn't seem like it would be. All right, well, I'll look that up later. Well, theoretically, Siamese twins could be considered as two-headed yeah, but that's children. Been, been so that. what happens at prom time? <laughs> if one head agrees to, to uh, go out... It's always a double date, Tim. Oh, always. Oh, well, one that turn around up... and one gets luckier than the other. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. No, it's that the same. That could end up rather unpleasant. Well, look, I guess this is then a fair line of questioning because this is a new story, is it not? Uh, because, you know, they're used to, uh, this is, you know, just a, a chapter of American history. Mm-hmm. You know, they're used to be back before there was surgery to, I think, separate conjoined twins uh, or Siamese twins, as they were called at that point. You would just have to sort of whole, live your whole life like, uh, you know, like, like you know, jam together or whatever. They put them in the circus science show. But there, which, which is what? Well, it's like that tree guy. Who is? Where's that? Where, what country has the tree guy? India. Is it India yeah. again? Mm-hmm. All right, I want India quarantined right now. I'm seriously, I want a whole, I want a net from that country right, right now until we can figure out what's going on. You suppose maybe there was that Project Arrowhead happening down there, and they just opened a portal into some sort of alternate universe that ought not mix with our own. But, but you know, in America and in, in other countries, they were talking about that tree guy who now, like, he has to, like, his only job is, like, working in a sideshow, which, I mean, you know, at least he's got that he's going a motivational for speaker for Seri- Seriously. Um, but, uh, you know, but, but, you know, back in, like, the 30s and 40s in America, you would see these kids and these adults who were sort of put into the sideshow because they were weird or they had some sort of mutation going on or whatever. And one of them was there was a, a set of twin girls who were joined, Siamese twin girls. And I do believe, maybe I'm making this up, but I don't think so. I do believe that in the 40s, up until the early 50s, there was a famous pair of female Siamese twins who toured as part of a carnival or, you know, whatever. Uh, But they then both got married to, like, you know, guys who were not Siamese twins. And I, for the life of me, don't know how that would work. I mean, that just raises more questions than it answers. I mean, it's just a... It's a thing that you can't really think about too much because then your brain just spirals into some sort of a weird, endless paradox, and all of your other functions shut down because you're busy processing Siamese twins who are married. So let's all agree now not to talk about it anymore. All right. It's uh, 503. I can't stop thinking about it. Well, and now we've got nothing but calls about sharks and two-headed babies. All right. Jesus. 
Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program, sir and madam, as the case may be. Hello. Um, hey there. There was actually, about five years ago in Life Magazine, saw the spread with my own eyes, a, a whole picture essay about uh, they were about oh, 11 years old back then. I don't know, is it them or her? There were there were there was a, a two a, a female uh, with two female heads, two completely independent heads, one body, uh, you know, left arm, right arm, left leg, right leg. Uh, I think they shared most of their internal organs, but they had two heads. The shoulders were a little bit wider than usual. They had pictures of them, you know, at the swimming pool with all the other uh, equally normal kids. Uh, standing there in a bathing suit with the two heads. You know, I don't even. Uh, I don't even like. I don't know whether you refer to it as them or her, but anyway, you you might uh, dig that one up. So I don't even like one. sharing a pizza. I mean, the idea of having to share a you know. No, I need you to share your spleen. So this was, but it was two, uh, two heads, two totally separate personalities, but one body. Yeah. That's fascinating. Two totally separate heads, like they would argue. They'd argue, but they'd make up seriously, seriously. Life magazine. Left, right, left, right, left, right. Shut up. Uh, my question is, it doesn't seem like you would be able to, just scientifically speaking, it does not seem like you would live very long because your brain does take a lot of calories and energy and, you know, whatever no, no, that no, is. No, they were, whatever they, went, they, were, they were at school and everything. And, you know, i got to tell you, I'm a, I'm a psychologist by profession. I'd like to know if I could charge double for them. How did I know that? See, no matter where these calls start, they always end right there. They always end in bad joconia. Right. Think of how much macaroni and cheese you could eat if you had two heads. No, but see, but they only have the one stomach. So yeah, it's like, but you'd I, need more calories to support two brains. No, but I could eat the same amount twice as quickly, I would I would think. All right, thank you. You All bet. Right, bye now. Do a couple more, and then we will bid farewell to Kristen Bowie for today as our good friend James Robinson steps in because Kristen Bowie has 75 different radio jobs, and you have to go do another one of those right now? Yes. This All is right. the best one, though. I don't think they're going to allow you to talk about a two-headed baby. You should I try know, it. I know, right? I'll give you $5 if you try it. I totally will. Just tell them it's part of your brainstorming session with two I'm brains. holding you to that, Rick. All right. uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Um, you know, I was just thinking about uh, the... Uh, you know, you remember the movie uh, Todd Browning's Freaks from... Uh, the, I do, uh, I do, from way back when, yeah. Yeah, well, um, you know, the, the trouble is you can't really remake that in America these days. It was, because... a, it was a scandalous film at the time because it was a film uh, that we, it, it, a lot of the cast were actual so-called freaks from circus sideshows, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, human oddities in the U.S., you know, through better prenatal care and less boozing and all that don't happen as often. But India is uh, less medically advanced than us. I guess Italy, that would, as you know, produces far more films per year than Hollywood. I think it's time for Bollywood to crank out a uh, remake of Todd Browning's Freaks. All right. Well, yeah, and they can have it be a musical and have a lot of absurd uh, dance sequences, and it'll just be a really colorful and a happy uh, remake. All right. Thank you. My extra head is a golden bounty. Da, 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 da. I'm sorry. So why are we glad to come on your other program and talk about this during the stop set? <laughs> right into Faith Evans. You're more, more no, what than did I say? Oh, Faith Hill. I blew the reference right there. Faith Hill. All right. Um, all right. Well, Kristen, uh, you will be rejoining us tomorrow, yes? yes. yes all right. So uh, Kristen Bowie, ladies and gentlemen, who is departing for another radio gig as we speak. I'll be back Part tomorrow. Part of the CBS family. Uh, it's five oh. Nothing is. It's five oh three seven three three two nine seventy. That is a good point. Uh, Richie Bristol, can you obtain uh, today's birth of a salesman uh, uh, entrance? That would be fantastic if you could do that. 
It's 503-733-2970. That is a good point about prenatal care, though. I hadn't really thought about that. And about how you'd, you know, you just can't go boozing and eating paint chips here when you're pregnant. I mean, the way you probably can, maybe in nations where they do not have access to... In, in Cuba, all they do is eat paint chips. I... Um, but it's it also that, you know, I was thinking about something the other day. Um, Lara and I had, um, there was somebody we knew who, for whatever reason, you know, it wasn't one of those things where she was pregnant for nine months and had the kid and didn't know. I mean, she figured it out at some point. But she was actually pregnant for, I'll just put it this way. We know somebody who was pregnant for a pretty substantial period of time and didn't know it. And I guess the deal is that she has, um, in terms of her, in terms of her monthly I guess she had a bit of an irregular uh, cycle anyway, and so, she. long story short, she didn't really know she was pregnant. She was pregnant for like, Jesus, it was like two and a half months or something, and she didn't know, and finally the doctor's like, hey, what about this fetus? And, but of course, she'd just been drinking and smoking the, the entire time, you know, just, get me another sidecar! <sighs> and it just, just putting all kinds of toxins into her body, because she didn't know, and then, you know, lo and behold, baby comes out fine. Um, and, you know, we started thinking, I'm not suggesting that you drink and smoke while pregnant. Obviously, the, you know, your body's the temple of Jesus, and the babies are to be, you know, blah, 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 all of that stuff. But you but you do wonder, I'd be very careful about this, you do wonder if, to some extent, a lot of that, um, a lot of that education that they give you now about avoiding all of those things while you're pregnant, if it is maybe just a little bit overblown. I mean, I'm not saying it is, and again... Well, because just... they don't expect people to follow all of it. Is that, is that the thing? Do you think they, they give you an absolute like that because they figure that a lot of people are not going to... The vast majority of people not follow. They're not going to hew to that line uh, absolutely, and so by, by really over-telling you, mm -hmm. in other words, by, may, by, by maybe uh, giving you an exaggerated idea of what you are not allowed to do while pregnant, they hope that you'll at least maybe be moderate about it. It's like cell phones on an airplane. So better do, so so they overcorrect uh, operating under the assumption that you're probably not going to follow everything the doctor says. So he so he tells you to you know to cut down by a factor of a hundred, hoping that maybe you'll cut down by a factor of like seventy maybe. All right, because and, and then we'll talk to uh, and then we'll talk to our sales uh, person entered here. And then we'll do more calls. Then we got Steve Kasterman, very busy day. The new ACDC single coming up, mystery top five, uh, high concept Thursday, all that because. I was watching Mad Men, and you know, on Mad Men, they just drink and smoke constantly in that show. And the thing I said to Lara, again, I'm not a doctor, but the thing I said to Lara is, if it was really true that if you, you know, that you drink and smoke during your pregnancy and it's just going to mess your kid up, I mean, wouldn't you think that we would just have had decade after decade after decade of people who were just malformed and dumb? I mean, it really does seem, uh, it would be my estimation that American society is probably getting dumber by the year. So, oh, yeah. uh, so I really don't, I really don't know that you can, you can sort of lay that, all of that at the, at the feet of alcohol and cigarettes while smoking. And again, I'm not saying you should do it, but it does seem like maybe that's overstated because it's not like, it's not like 40 years ago everybody was just coming out of the womb all hobbled and stupid. So, yeah, I just, I don't understand science or really anything. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Let's just take one moment here and, Talk to the next entrant in the AM 970 Birth of a Salesman contest. Now, as you know, we had a whole bunch of people go to the website and submit, uh, in a hundred words or less, why they wish to be a salesperson here at the mighty force that is AM 970. We're going to talk to ten of them on the phone. Five will come into the studio to be grilled by Tim Riley and myself, mainly Tim. Then three will win a 15-minute session with Michael Fashana, general sales manager. Perhaps one of them will be the next AM 970 sales dynamo. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, Jared. Hello, sir. How are you today? 
I'm doing fantastic. How you doing, Rick? I am fantastic as well. On the classic one to ten scale, where would you say you are right now in terms of personal happiness at this very moment? Uh, 9.37. All right, excellent. I like your specificity. So here is the entry from Jared. This is fantastic. He says, good afternoon. I am Jared, and I come to you with a question. Is there a difference between a man and a slave? Is it money? Power? Respect? No. A man chooses. A slave obeys. Is a man not entitled to the sweat off his brow? No, says the man in Washington. It belongs to the poor. No, says the man in the Vatican. It belongs to God. No, says the man in Soviet Russia. It belongs to everyone. I reject those answers. Instead, I choose something different. I choose the impossible. I choose working on a sales team. Really? Just in terms of sheer language and oration, this might have been the best one we received so far. So well done on that, my friend. Thank you. Uh, I was thinking like I was thinking like Castro or somebody on a big you know, pedestal speaking that loudly when I wrote it. Good for you. Uh, so what are you doing right now? What type of job are you doing right now, if I may ask? Uh, well, right now at this very moment, I'm playing video games. I'm actually going to bleep that right there, what you just said, uh, only because, you know, you probably don't want to... Probably don't want to mention that by name. Okay, uh, I work so, at a game retailer. You work at a game retailer right now, and, of course, a man who wants to know the product, who wants to be familiar with the product that he is selling to the public, you are, in fact, playing a video game right now. What video game are you playing? Tales of Vesperia. Is this a massively multiplayer online role-playing game? No, that is a traditional, quirky, Japanese, traditional RPG, turn-based battles, that kind of thing. All right, excellent. And full of great anime melodrama. So I have a couple questions for you. First of all, uh, have you sales experience outside of this realm? Uh, as far as working on a sales team at a radio mm -hmm. station, no. But you know, my job does entail me, you know, giving no giving my knowledge to the customer, telling them about the product that I am selling, and making sure that they have the best available product in their hands by the time they walk out of my store. So it's not like when a guy comes in and he wants to know, like, what is the difference between Halo Three and the Halo Three Gold Edition? And then, like, you have to sort of explicate the differences for him, or? Well, one's $30 more and comes in a helmet. <laughs> I like you already. I'm looking at my Halo 3 Legendary Edition helmet right now. The Master Chief is staring at me while I talk to you. You should really, I, I think that you could probably kick up your sales uh, revenue by about 5 to 7% here at AM970 if you were just to go out on calls in your Master Chief outfit. You know what I mean? No, no, no. You can't, uh, you can't, you can't put it on. It's just like a sleeve. It's actually big enough. It could probably fit my head, but the way they constructed it, uh, you can't, you can't actually get it on your head. What kind of a, look, don't get me wrong. I love Halo and I love Bungie software and all that. What kind of a company gives you a Master Chief helmet you can't put on? An evil one. I, I think they just didn't want to be sued. That's just wrong. All right. Well, whatever. Um, so let me ask you a couple questions here. Give okay. me a, give me a good example of how you have recently used your persuasive powers, Jared. Well, at this uh, at this certain retailer I work at, one of the things you have to do is you have to sell. And I'm sure you going into a game store, you have to sell these cards that you know give you 10% extra on yes. used games, that kind of thing. And so you know, we're forced to hawk these, and it shows in our sales numbers, and we actually have to report these numbers. So, you know, you, you bring a, you, a girl comes in, and she wants to buy a game. It's like, well, if you spend an extra five bucks, you know, you'll get, an, you'll get this card, and um, you'll, you'll be able to save five bucks on your game right now. And if you spend about $60 this year, you, I'm guaranteed you can make that money back, and it's a great product. And, uh, you know, I, I just have to do that thing and speak to corporate speak, but, hey, you know, you do what you got to do. So you have to master the upsell. 
Oh, oh yeah. Oh, there's there's multiple steps to the upsell. Like somebody just comes in and says, "I want that." No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. All right. So, what is another example uh, of upselling that you might do to somebody? Is that where they want maybe the basic version of a game, but then you kind of pitch them on the full-on version of the game that has two controllers or something? Well, there's a couple. Like, okay, the game I was just talking about, Tales of Vesperia. Well, for ten dollars more, you can get the collector's edition. It comes in a steel case. Comes with a soundtrack, a bonus art book, and all that good stuff. All for just ten dollars more. And then I got to try to hawk the extra strategy guide. I got to game guard it in case you know even your dog chews it up. You can bring it back to the store. We'll replace it for you. You know you got to tell them about all this stuff. And I think I think I'm pretty good at that. Excellent. Uh, so let me let me ask you this: If you had to describe to a prospective client uh, AM 970, not just this show, but AM 970 in no more than three sentences, what would you say? Uh. Is 18 to 25 your market? These are your people right here. Uh, we'll we'll bring we'll bring our product, your product, to them in ways that no other radio station in this area can. And so, if a customer then says, uh, "I don't know, there's a lot of radio stations out there. I don't know what the, you know what makes AM 970 uh, different. Why why should I advertise with you?" Uh, Rick Emerson, simply put, uh, he's uh, he's definitely got the pulse on the Portland society. Nobody knows weird like us and. Uh, as as Portland natives ourselves, we can better represent your product than anybody else at any huge radio station around town. So your shameless flattery is having the desired effect, my friend. All right, uh, well, do, we, we actually have a couple folks who want to ask you some questions, and then we will uh, and then we'll wrap it up. Give me just one second here. Uh, hi, Rich. You're on the Rick Emerson Show with Jared. Jared, I got a question for you. Yes. You know that little uh, uh, Castro-like uh, speech that Rick read off at the very beginning yeah are you going to tell me how it's from bioshock yeah i'm going to tell you it's from bioshock yep wait tell me let me understand this so is part of your is part of your submission in fact plagiarized from the game bioshock maybe good uh, for you no 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 you know what paul stanley about about russia and the man and the government and you know but i have to say this you know what paul stanley said good artists borrow great artists steal so yeah of course rick i don't i don't know if it's uh Maybe increases or decreases his chance of being a salesman, given the level of uh, dishonesty. You know, all that. Let me it. let me respond to that with a stolen quote of my own. All that matters in this life is to get them to sign on the line, which is dotted, and that's, that's it. True. All right, thank that's you, it. sir. Yep. All right, bye now. All right, uh, Jared. As we wrap this up here, uh, let me ask you this: What is your favorite Madonna song? Oh. Uh, like a virgin. Is this? Uh, are you just punting with that answer? Be honest. I, I am just picking a Madonna song because I am not the world's biggest Madonna fan. All right, but you did have an answer. I suppose it's going. I don't know. So that is the, that is the mark of a good salesperson. You didn't say I didn't know. You came up with an answer even if you were just sort of pulling it out of one of your orifices. So. Well, I, I always try. All right. Artist. All right. Well done. I'm going to put you on hold. Richie's going to make sure uh, we have your contact info and we will be in touch with you one way or the other. Thank you, my friend. All right, bye now. There you go. Richie, can you make sure we have Jared there, and then we'll need to clear that line for Steve Kastenbaum? Excellent. I like that guy. He was pretty good. It was amusing. No, I have to say, you know what? And he was, uh, you know, and he was sort of selling it. He said, I was a little skeptical at first, actually, when he said that he sells video games and a sort of gamer. I thought, well, how is, you know, and I guess sales is sales, but I was, I was not quite sure exactly how one was going to flow into the other. He made me a believer. By about halfway through that call, I have to say that I, uh, I liked his enthusiasm. I found it uh, inspiring and infectious. Um... Let's do a couple of these, then we'll do more headlines, then Steve Kastenbaum. Hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey. Hi. Hey. <laughs> 
uh, hello, Kristen and Tim and Rick, of course. Hey, I was in a gospel group uh, way back in the 70s there, and quite frequently we uh, played music behind a uh, set of Siamese twins. You are making that up. At the, I, no, I'm telling the truth. They, uh, I'm not sure whatever happened to them, but they were featured on TV several times, uh, you know, different different shows. But it was an African-American set of Siamese twins joined at the head, and I do believe they were from South Carolina, and I I did shows with them uh, in Georgia and parts of Florida. And, and they were joined, at, did you say, at the hip or at the head? At the head. And one had a boyfriend, the other one didn't. I, that's just... You think I'm making this up? No, I no, I don't. I'm just saying it's, it goes back to our previous statement. Uh, that I mean, you really... I mean, I know this gets said about everything now. You really ought to have... I mean, there ought to be a reality show about some Siamese twins. I mean, I mean, that's yeah. there's probably all kinds of people who want to know the answers to things regarding conjoined twins. And yeah. really, it's not like there's no 800 number I can call to ask, like, hey, how does that work when one of the twins is uh, getting it and the other one isn't? I mean, there's just like, who are you going to add? Would I call up Dan Rather and ask him? There's just no, you know, uh, there really is no place to find out of that information. I would watch that. Would, that'd get a 40 share. You know, the thing is, they, they actually could sing uh, fairly well, too. It was uh, kind of interesting. Uh, they drove around in a, in a limo, and usually if you booked them, they were like the headline of the thing. But most of the time, there was usually the Mighty Clouds of Joy or somebody, a really another real big gospel group would be on the show. And uh, we basically would play the music for them. My girlfriend played guitar, and I played drums. So they must have had then separate sets of lungs. Yeah, they were. Because they, were, they were at the hip. They were just joined at the head, and the hairline and everything could be hair. right on. Yeah, at the head. So yeah, so separate. So that way they could, you know, because otherwise it would just be otherwise it would just be weird. That yeah, is, it, and you 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 don't know what happened. You don't know kind of where they went to. Well, I moved out here, so I I don't know. They were they were fairly popular around the south, and I'm from Jacksonville, Florida, originally. Mm -hmm. So, but they were fairly popular around most of the southern states, and if you. Uh, were into the gospel scene at that time. You probably knew about them. Well, I, they, they also preached, and uh, they were they were they were real nice people. They were I, really nice. I would imagine that probably this, you would be familiar with them because really, how many? I mean, how many joined to the head gospel singing Siamese twins in the South? Really, can there be at any one time? That seems like a bit of a niche category. So I think they have the market corner. All right, thank you, my friend. Take care. All right, there you go. Well, I got to look that up later on. That so the. They had two separate bodies joined at the at the hairline. He said he was at the head. Okay. Uh, so I guess they were. Uh, there was a um, a twin set of black girls joined at the head who sang gospel and preached in the South in the seventies. So with that information, mm -hmm. it seems like we really ought to be able to sort of track them down and see maybe what they're up to. All right. All what, right. what would happen if almost the other one was a lesbian? Just a thought. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from uh, Denver, Colorado, CNN radio correspondent to the star, Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. Wow. You yeah, scared me there. When it went silent, I thought I lost the phone line as I was standing by. No, it, it just it, it, Tim really has a knack for, I would say, two things. A, getting to the real root of a story. See, you know, let me just give you a little, a little bit of insight. This is a thing. You may have already gleaned this knowledge just by dint of listening to the program and engaging with us like this over the years. There really are two distinct, different 
two distinct and different methods of handling a story that happened here in the studio. Story comes out, and then I just sort of babble about it, and I sort of just circle around it like a vulture looking for carrion in the Mojave, and just as sort of a fire hose of words and verbiage, and I, and I hope that somewhere within this cavalcade of talk that comes out of my mouth that there's something amusing or funny or interesting or compelling. Tim, though, Tim is, Tim is like, a, he's like a ninja. Uh, he just, he gets in. He's like he's like a uh, he's like a news gorilla. You know, he strikes and hits exactly the target, and then he sinks back into the night. And he also has a knack for really asking questions that you had never really thought of before. Something that had never occurred to you, a query that you had never before pondered, but that you are then obsessed with. Um, as Henry Rollins once said, "I think about these things so you don't have to, but now you will." And so, see, now I'm going to be thinking about that for the rest of the day. So, see. All right. Uh, so you guys are wrapping up. Are you guys, are, are they tearing down the CNN uh, grill? Is that already gone? What, oh, what I have is no up idea. Now? I've been here at Invesco Field. Let me tell you, what a logistical nightmare this this whole thing has been. And and my hat goes off to the 5,000 journalists and their production crews that have uh, moved over from the Pepsi Center yeah. to Invesco Field at Mile High because it's an incredible setup here, the largest uh, media setup I've ever seen anywhere. I've never seen so many cameras on, on such a large riser facing a stage before in my entire life. And then there's all the network sets, you know, off to the side here. Uh, but but just moving all of this stuff. I mean, I'm not still completely set up yet, you know. <laughs> well, I guess I guess I should have anticipated. I was looking at the clock, and I guess I should have figured out that they, that you all everything already would have been taken down and moved over because I was watching CNN TV last night. And I think the instant, the instant everything was done, there was guys in there just like a team of ants, like taking that thing down, uh, you know, inside the arena and getting ready to move it all on over. Because you got, you know, what is... And it wasn't so much the DNC. It was really just all the media. You know, the DNC, they just hired a couple of extra production companies right. to set this up while everybody was at the Pepsi Center. For us, it's like, you know, the networks have limited uh, resources, and they just had to move everything from one side to the other. So it was an all-night operation. And uh, what a pain! That's all I have to say. <laughs> but I mean, it seems like they—it seems like at this point they—they they might have it down to uh, a little bit of a of a science. At least I would hope so, because there's going to be, you know, it, I mean, it, it seems like every election cycle, things like this get bigger and louder and more involved, and the advanced teams have got to do more and more work, and the production values escalate to such an extent that there's just more and more moving parts, both literally and figuratively, every time they do one of these things. Yeah, but there's been nothing to compare to, to, the, to this at all. I mean, this, you're right about that. And, and if we're in one location one week and another location the next week, like, the, like we are with the Republican convention, it's doable. But to move one night, uh, uh, to go from one place to another overnight, is just, you can't even understand what the stress has been like here. I mean, but let's, let's be positive. Rick, let, let, let's let's just talk. Focus on the positive here. They've opened the gates. I don't want to be the witness to your mental collapse on the air, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> they've they've opened the gates here at Invesco Field hours before this is set to begin, before the program is set to begin here. And uh, ordinary people, folks who bought tickets for this, are filing in. Even in the upper deck, they're already coming in. The, even the seats behind the stage, right. are, people are starting to fill in already. They're going to be out here in the sun for hours. Have you seen a picture of the stage? I have. I have. I, well, I saw – no, I didn't see a picture, but I saw a sort of uh, – sort of, what do you call it? Like, a, like a, the, a sort of blueprint or a diagram of how things were going to be set up, but I haven't seen the completed stage. Rick, you would be laughing 
your butt off. I mean, it's supposed to resemble a federal building. It's, it's, it's supposed to be inspired by right. a federal building with right. these columns. It's being dubbed the uh, Obamacropolis. I, I also heard somebody call it the, uh, Barack Obama and the Temple of Dem, <laughs> as in Democrats. It almost looks like uh, like this amphitheater set up, but like, it reminds me of this, um, this waterfront uh, um, amphitheater that we have in New York and Long Island at Jones Beach. And there's sort of like a, um, it's outdoors, it's right in the water, and there's a moat that it's that goes in front of the stage that separates it from the uh, from the audience, and it kind of reminds me like that because he, he he walks out onto this stage, uh, and it's got like a long runway almost, and then it leads to this circular uh, steps is the only way I can uh, describe it, and the steps get larger and larger as they go down, and you know the circle gets larger, and then it's just this big field of blue around it, and it I don't. Ooh, I don't know who they hired to design this one. <laughs> Maybe he should just skip to the bottom of the page and actually walk on water out to deliver his speech That's tonight. That's what it is. Oh, I, I couldn't. You know, you just said it. it, it, it he's going to look like he's walking on water. I mean, and this, that brings us to, a, to a, a point that people have sort of brought up. And we will talk for in a second about some of the stuff that happened last night. But would you agree, just from your journalistic vantage point, would you agree that Barack Obama at this point is masterfully so, but is walking a very fine line between wanting to look, you know, larger than life and very, you know, you got to, you know, you got to, you got to position yourself the way you want people to see, you know, perception is reality, but he's walking that fine line between looking very sort of powerful and masterful and, but with a risk of almost looking overblown. He's got to be all things to all critics today, basically. You know, he can't be too lofty. He's got to start talking fine points, but he can't go too deep in the fine points because then the 76,000 people that are here are, are going to get bored and they're not going to get riled right, up. Right. He's got to start, you know, talking, uh, you know, about policies and he can't be all, uh, you know, grand uh, ideas without any anything to back it up, you know. And and so that's that's what they're saying here tonight. He's got to deliver the speech of his life here tonight. But there are going to be some other interesting moments. They're going to ask all 76,000 people here to pull out their cell phones and text uh, friends and tell them to get involved. That's pretty great. That's going to be a big moment here. Uh, good luck trying to get through to me on the cell at that point. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think one of the things, just seeing Joe Biden talk last night, and one of the – Biden is not necessarily a very polished speaker – uh, you know, he you know, seemed a little rough in patches last night, but he, he did capture. There was this moment in Biden's speech last night where he was doing this sort of laundry list of things that you know the so-called average family was sitting around worrying about. Right. Uh, you know, seventy bucks to fill up the car. How are we going to do that? Uh, you know, dad passed away. Is it time for mom to come and live with us because she can't afford to be on her own and you know, whatever? And I think, just from my estimation, it's all well and good to speak to the 75,000 faithful that are sort of gathered here, but it seems like it seems like Barack Obama really has to maybe sort of pull down his sort of bombastic eloquence just a little bit to try to talk to some guy who's sitting at home on the couch watching it on, you know, a 20-inch screen. Yeah, he's got to, exactly, he's got to reach and connect with a very broad uh, spectrum of personalities tonight. I mean, he's really got to connect with so many different types of people because he's got to leave this convention with with a big bounce he's got to get a lot of momentum coming out right. of this because you know the the polls coming into here were putting him at a tie with with john mccain and you know the democrats given the current situation and the level of discontent with the bush administration they should not be tied with the republican uh the republican candidate right now 
So they've got some work to do. Uh, there was a little bit of a, a faux surprise last night at the end of Biden's speech where Barack Obama came out and, you know, they sort of embraced and Obama talked for a minute or so. And it, it, it sort of the least spontaneous looking surprise I've ever seen in my life. But I got to tell you, Rick, it was the best kept secret here. We didn't find out about it until an hour before it happened. And, and you know us, we've got sources everywhere. Uh, the delegates on the floor definitely did not know it was is that, happen. See, is that true? I see. Yeah. I had just assumed that it was a thing that had been leaked all over the place no, beforehand. No, we, we, uh, we got an email from our, our political desk about an hour before that, uh, you know, they found out it was going to happen. So here's, a, uh, so here's a bit of a paradoxical question. Uh, are there going to be any surprises tonight, to the best of your knowledge? You know, the local papers were abuzz saying that Bruce Springsteen was going to be here, but there's been no, you know, I've been here for the sound checks. I didn't see Bruce. I don't know. That could just be wishful thinking. Uh, it's, it's entirely possible. Did you, uh, a couple of things before we wrap it up here. One, speaking of Bruce Springsteen, they played The Rising last night, I think at the end of this, the, the, the sort of whole event. And it's such a great song. And really, first of all, the song is just amazing. Because every time I hear the song, by, The Rising by Bruce Springsteen, I do get chills. It's just a, it's a powerful, beautiful song. It is. And just a fantastic piece of music with which to have ended last night. And... You know, the shameless tugging on the nostalgic heartstrings of that Fleetwood Mac song for Bill Clinton, which... It was so reminiscent, wasn't it? I mean, and you you know, whatever bad blood may have existed between the Clintons and the Obamas or uh, Bill Clinton and some segments of, you know, the Barack Obama uh, audience or the, the folks who were with Barack Obama... You know, it seemed to all just sort of vanish in a haze of good feeling last night because uh, Bill Clinton had uh, he had every one of those people right there in the palm of his hand. Yeah, it was. It, he really rocked the house last yeah. night. Is, is how a lot of people have been saying it. He he did what he does best. You yeah. know, he delivered a speech that was reminiscent of of his uh, days on the campaign trail, 1992. It felt like you know. It is going to be difficult for the Republicans to top this, just in terms of showmanship, theatricality, and in just the presentation of well, the that's speakers. That's always the case with these conventions. The, the Democratic uh, convention is always more glitzy, more more schmaltzy than the Republican one is. You know. All right, my friend, I will let you get back to it. Uh, enjoy your day, uh, enjoy the night, and I will uh, talk to you in the very near future, sir. Yeah, um, I'll be in transit tomorrow, so I won't be able to be on the show tomorrow. So uh, I'll speak to you guys uh, after the holiday. Catch up with you after the holiday. Thank you, sir. Take care. Steve Kastenbaum, ladies and gentlemen, in Denver, Colorado. All right, there you go. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So what is 75,000 people? Yes. How many people are going to be in it? Mm-hmm. Just, just insane. All right. Uh, let's do a couple here. We'll break, and we'll come back with more news. This is Tim Riley. So, Republican presidential nominee-in-waiting John McCain staying mum about his pick for running mate. And one prospect, Minnesota Governor Tim Pawlenty, has abruptly canceled numerous public appearances. He called off an AP interview at the last minute, as well as other media interviews in Denver at the set of the convention. Others believe it's because he's in contention for the number two spot. Some of the other people mentioned, Governor Mitt Romney, I don't know, and Joe Lieberman. And then we have this uh, about... Uh, apparently, Carl Rove called Lieberman late last week and urged him to contact John McCain to withdraw his name from vice presidential nomination uh, consideration. According to three sources, Lieberman dismissed uh, this request. Lieberman laughed at this suggestion and did not call McCain on it. Rove called Lieberman, recounting a second source. Lieberman told him he would not make that call. You know, I can't even keep track of Joe Lieberman. Is he still an independent or is he... St- is he back to being... I think he became a Democrat again, didn't he? I don't know, because there was that whole thing about, well, I'm going to be a registered independent, Zoidberg, blah, 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 you know, and he's just... Uh, and, but it, I, cannot, I cannot imagine. Look, uh, there are moments when it seems like John McCain is perhaps not playing with even a preponderance of his original marbles, but I cannot imagine 
that anybody with any sense is going to put Joe Lieber. We're talking about like Johnny Buzzkill, man. I mean, you know, who can suck the air out of a room? Joe Lieberman. So there's just a. Uh, I mean, he's got like reverse Joe momentum at this point. Uh, so uh, let's uh, play a couple of cuts from the uh, the speech last night from Bill Clinton. He vowed to do everything he can to send Barack Obama to the White House. Hillary told us in no uncertain terms that she is going to do everything she can to elect Barack Obama. That makes two of us. Uh, Barack Obama is his candidate. Barack Obama is ready to be president of the United States. And he only said that because he made a comment a couple of weeks ago. Who's prepared to be president of the U.S.? But this is this goes back to the point that you made at the beginning of the show with him, which is absolutely true. Bill Clinton has he has like the Jedi mind trick power. I mean, right? That's the thing. Like you just pointed out, they spent months on the campaign trail. Barack Obama cannot be he's underqualified. Don't vote. Didn't Bill Clinton say at one point? And this is actually very recently. I think Bill Clinton said, "Voting for Barack Obama would just be like rolling the dice." That's what he said, because he didn't think that he, he, they were making the case that he was uh, inexperienced, underqualified, and non-electable. But Bill Clinton, who is, he doesn't even really exist in actual physical form. He's just sort of this floating conglomeration of lies shaped into a human sort of figure. And he gets up last night and goes, Barack Obama is the man. And I'm watching TV go, Barack Obama is the man. Just completely believing it, even though the, the back part of my brain is going, he's lying. He's making this up, but you believe it anyway. Mm -hmm. He says Barack Obama will show a positive vision to the world. People the world over have always been more impressed by the power of our example than by the example of our power. Oh, come on. How great is that? Yeah, that oh, was one of the best guy. lines. Oh, good for him. Yes, uh, John McCain is a good man, but he can't solve two major problems. How to rebuild the American dream and how to restore America's leadership in the world, he still embraces the extreme philosophy that has defined his party for more than 25 years. So uh, John Kerry addressed the convention last night. Nobody covered it live. It was about the time that all the toilets in America flushed simultaneously. You gave me the honor of uh. fighting our fight. And I was proud to stand with you then, and I am proud to stand with you now to help elect Barack Obama president of the United States. At least he didn't salute like in the Shirley Temple movie. I didn't even, it wasn't even until this morning that I knew he had even been on stage. Yeah, it said at the bottom, it said, going on now. John Kerry speaking. <laughs> you know what John Kerry is? John Kerry is like that uh, that Academy Award they give for like third lighting guy or whatever. You know, what I mean? best boy in, in ceremonies earlier this evening. John Kerry, loser, talked about whatever. Uh, you know, and the thing about having Kerry up there, they must have been doubly embarrassed because a Kerry just has. I'm sure he's a nice guy, and you know all of that, blah blah blah. But. It, through either his fault or just the fault of the circumstances that surrounded him, he just has the stench of losing and death all over him. I mean, he just smells like failure. And so you just don't want to have that guy around. And then, of course, when you see Kerry, you immediately think, mm, John Edwards, which then brings back all kinds of unpleasant memories about the Clinton era. So, I mean, they must have just done everything they could to bury him so far into that event that nobody was ever going to watch that. And mission accomplished, I think. Uh, Barack Obama made a surprise appearance. I think the convention's gone pretty well so far. What do you think? I think Michelle Obama kicked it off pretty well, don't you think? If I'm not mistaken, Hillary Clinton rocked the house last night.
Uh, President Bill Clinton is an inspiration to him. President Bill Clinton reminded us of what it's like when you've got a president who actually puts people first. Uh, my mama, Michelle, uh, knows this presidential election is like any other. She loves Hillary Clinton. We don't have time to wait, and we need a Democrat in the White House. We need somebody who can inspire people, uh, and she is throwing her support behind Barack Obama because she knows he's going to be the person that can move this country. Late support for Obama comes from Cooter of the Dukes of Hazard. People down here are sick and tired of being taken for granted by the Republican Party, and Southerners are wide open to, uh, to what Barack Obama has to say. He needs to spend more time down here, and I think he'll come to love it, and folks down here will come to really like him a lot. Uh, Southerners are fine people. People in the South related to Franklin <laughs> Roosevelt, who was a Yankee blue blood. And Jack Kennedy, North Carolina's support of Kennedy, won for him the presidency. So uh, it's, 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 it's what you say. Maybe you should have spoken instead of Kerry. Did you, uh, did you see the guy, the, I forget his name, the governor of Montana last night? No. Uh, the governor of Montana. It was sort of late in the night. Were you watching, but you were doing the MSNBC thing, right? Well, first I started MSNBC, then I went to uh, CNN. So late in the night, uh, it was uh, John King, who I love, uh, was interviewing the governor of Montana. And they were talking about the electoral map and how, uh, you know, Montana typically very uh, very red state, but, he, but Obama's polling real well there and everything. And it's just, it's one of those things that is either, it's either great or embarrassing or maybe a confluence of the two. Because the Montana, he's the governor of Montana and he's wearing, yes, cowboy boots, blue jeans, and like a big-ass bolo tie with a, like, oh, a like, like an animal skull on it or something. And he realized that just, you know, this country really is just a rich and fascinating tapestry. Because you couldn't really be like, you couldn't really be like the governor of Pennsylvania, you know, or like no. New Hampshire or something, get away with that. Um, I just got a few notes. Uh, do we have more sound? Uh, yes, but, but not about the convention. Okay, well, let me, let's just get to my convention notes and then we can sort of move on from it. Did you catch that um, Bo Biden, who is Joe Biden's son, who introduced him, that they brought him on to this weird orchestral version of Dreamweaver? Which is really strange. I mean, I don't even... You always wonder if they get to pick their own entrance music or if that is selected for them, or if it's sort of like uh, when you're on one of those rock star reality shows where you have to pick your entrance music, but it's from like a pre-selected list. Like, you have the following ten songs from which to choose. Uh, Dreamweaver, which was sung by Gary... Glitter? No. Oh, Gary... Gary... James? Dreamweaver. Oh. Is it Gary Moore? No. No. He hosted television shows in the 60s. Gary. Well, well, whatever. But, you know, the dream weaver, but they brought him onto that. Let's see what else do I have here. Uh, about the flag pin. I'm not going to get into the whole business of whether you ought to wear one and whether you're a patriot and whether it was blah, 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 blah. I will just say this. The, the flag pin is now responsible for ruining at least three otherwise uh, perfectly assembled suits. Uh, Joe Biden uh, came out yesterday. Uh, and Bo Biden, the same thing. Looked really good. Great suit. Perfectly balanced. All the accessories in the right place. And then the flag pin, which is really just like the one brushstroke to money, really ruining an otherwise great visual aesthetic. Let's see what else. That great moment last night when Joe Biden, and this is another sort of fake, spontaneous thing. They keep trying to lie to us and say that it was, that it was an accident. But when he was doing that thing and he said, he was talking about George Bush, and he says, this fall, if we elect George Bush, I mean John Freudian McCain. Slip. Freudian slip. Yeah, and it's yeah. a Freudian slip. And then the news media, because they're fools, just sort of dutifully passed it along. An accidental slip of the tongue, blah, blah, blah. And it was clearly not accidental, but it was a great line. When he does the Freudian slip, so-called, of saying George Bush or John McCain. Um, let's see. They did, i got to tell you, they did the slickest move with Bo Biden, who is Joe Biden's son. It was, it was, it was genius. It was masterful. 
So Bo Biden, who I believe is like the attorney general or something yeah. in some, some state, maybe Delaware, Delaware, he comes out and he says this great thing. He says, now this fall, because of other obligations, I will not be able to be here to support my dad the way he supported me. So while I'm busy, I need you to support my father for me. And then the real masterful thing was that they never said what the other obligations were. He didn't say it. Don't get me wrong. I love our friends at CNN and all the other news gathering organizations, but they're so easy to manipulate. Because Bo Biden says this thing about, I won't be here because of other obligations. He never says what it is. And then the CNN commentators, right on cue, man, they come out and they go, uh, the other obligations he's referring to is uh, he will be uh, rotating on active duty through Afghanistan this fall. So the Democrats get this great thing out there about how Joe Biden's kid is going to be overseas in the Middle East. You know, he's going to be in Afghanistan, or he was either Afghanistan or Iraq. But they don't have to say it, and the news media does their job for them. And it was like, just like an absolute masterstroke. Uh, what else? At the at the end of um, at the end of I think Joe Biden's speech, they were playing "Simply the Best" by Tina Turner, which is great. Uh, Joe Biden's laundry list is genius. Oh, here's the thing: Wolf Blitzer hates Anderson Cooper. I wrote this down. Were you watching the dynamic between Wolf Blitzer and Anderson Cooper? No, the only one that I saw was when Caroline Kennedy just a. Destroyed Wolf Blitzer like twice, which I didn't see. I must have missed that. Oh, it was hilarious. He asked her to describe something. Oh, you really know all about this, do you? No, please describe the behind the scenes. I can't talk about that. (laughs) Nothing else. And then Anderson Cooper picked it up and started joking, and she liked him. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing. And so Wolf Blitzer, I don't know if he maybe had a few or if it's just late in the night, but Wolf Blitzer was, uh, you know, trying to do his thing, and Anderson Cooper just kept needling him. Just kept making all of these like obvious sort of you know between the lines jabs about you know well nobody's really as cool as Wolf Blitzer well we all wish we were as cool as Wolf well I bet people are going to be in line to get their picture taken with Wolf that's how cool he is oh, and that. and by like the fourth time Anderson Cooper made some sort of catty remark about that and it was like with a smile and a you know and a wink but clearly it was sort of a <clears throat> right between the ribs but the fourth one of those they would cut to Wolf Blitzer and he just had what I think we all can recognize as the tight little smile. The smile that betrays a whole lot of, like, I'm going to kill you at my first opportunity. So that was great. Um, I'll have to watch tonight and see what he does. I wrote down this note, and then I wrote a follow-up note about five minutes later. Leslie Sanchez and her eyebrows, WTF. Leslie Sanchez, who is a Republican strategist, but who is speaking, uh, you know, sort of an analyst for CNN, she's got that horrible thing where, like, I was looking at her face, and I'm thinking to myself, this sounds awful, but I'm thinking, what's wrong with her face? And then I realize what's wrong with her face. Unless I am wrong about this, and I don't believe I am, Leslie Sanchez had a huge, like, like Frida Kahlo unibrow at one point, mm-hmm. and they've waxed that whole thing away, but they forgot to do, but they did it recently, and they didn't really, like, do, do the appropriate amount of makeup afterward. So you can see her, like, very carefully sculpted eyebrows, but then a big white line across her eyebrows and through her forehead as though there was, like, the huge Noel Gallagher brow up there. Uh, and then later on, though, same thing with Amy Holmes, and I wrote down, what the hell is up with CNN women's eyebrows? Even Candy Crowley had that. So I think there may be some some sort of special non-makeup they're doing to the CNN women's eyebrows. It's all very weird. Um, and I think that may be it. Oh, except for this. I wrote down at the end, Bill Clinton is slowly becoming a Kennedy. I mean, even the way he looks physically, mm-hmm. he sort of is like turning into Ted Kennedy a little bit. That's he, what I noticed. He yeah. has the same cadence, same kind of delivery. So yeah, it was a good night for Bill Clinton, though. Uh, he he sounded and acted better than I've seen him in a long time because after his heart attack he kind of kind of slowed down. Yeah. All of a sudden he was feisty. Yeah. And I think maybe, but you know, don't you get the sense though that Bill Clinton is one of those guys 
Um, I hate to compare. I hate to make this comparison. Don't you get the feel Bill Clinton sort of like Harvey Corman? Because uh, when we oh, saw yeah. Harvey Corman backstage at the Schnitzer, I mean, he looked like he was dead already. Mm-hmm. He looked like a walking corpse. And this is, you know, some time before he had his serious illness and died. And Tim and I were like, how is he even standing? It looks like his bones are half dust. How is this even? But man, curtain goes up, the light hits him, and he was on, on his game. And then you get the sense that Bill Clinton is like that, too. That, you know, it's like instant charisma, just add crowd. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I think he actually, they were, he came out to the Fleetwood Mac or whatever, and the crowd is just like, just, they did everything but shower him in rose petals. And he actually said, like, no, I love this. I love it, but you got to stop. No, but I love it. I mean, First of all, sit down. <laughs> sit down. Sit <laughs> down. I mean, you, you do get the sense that if he could, Bill Clinton would reach out with his big sort of ham-like arms and just hug the entire audience to his bosom and just, I love you so much. I mean, he's... He's a weird blend of just uh, of just sociopath and genius. I mean, he really is. Uh, let's do one more, and then we'll take a break, and we'll come back and reset everything on the other side. News you can use. Microsoft's latest Internet browser includes a piece of software that allows Internet users to hide the audit trail of websites they visited. This is the in-private feature on Internet Explorer 8. It's nicknamed Porn Mode, allowing you to conceal <laughs> the sites that you have viewed with a click of a button. Once the setting is chosen, others using the same computer will not be able to see which sites have been accessed. Other browsers will have similar functions, but this one is more prominent. Although casual users cannot see the previous user's search history, uh, authorities such as the police will be able to access it if necessary. You know why I love this country? Because we can actually just have a product that is called porn mode. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, that you know, Tim, that's what separates us from the communists. They don't have uh, they don't have porn in communist nations. Just sort of a, a crudely drawn stick figures and mm-hmm. so forth. Um, all right. Uh, we'll, uh, oh, by the way, I'll, James, I will read the Glorious Bastard of the Week into the break here. Uh, so we don't need to play the bumper. I'll do this, and we'll go right into the break with the liner. Uh, we have here an interview opportunity, Tim. It's an interview about, although uh, not with anybody who is on, the show Gossip Girl. Oh, I got that, too. Did you? I was going to hand that to you today. How Gossip Girl affects the, t- uh, the lives of real teenagers. Mm-hmm. So this was the... Uh, this is starred, let's see, Gail King, author of Restless Virgins, has a startling investigative account of today's uh, teens, which provides an unparalleled look into the hearts and minds of the MySpace generation. Uh, so I don't know if that's a thing that we want to do or not. I By mean, the way, their season premiere is Monday night. Of Gossip Girl? Mm-hmm. And it's undoubtedly going to be playing in my home. All right, I will uh, play us into the break here with the Glorious Bastard of the Week. On the way, uh, we have more news from Tim Riley. Uh, the brand-new ACDC single, The Mystery Top 5, High Concept Thursday. Uh, later on today, Like Us at 3, Like Us 101 at 5. Greetings and salutations, Kenny Sessler from Portland. You are being addressed at this moment because you, yes, you, have been selected as the AM970 Glorious Bastard of the Week with all the rights and privileges that entails. In addition to the envy of your fellow man, you'll receive a bountiful cornucopia of swag from the AM970 pile of crap, including The Shield, the complete sixth season on DVD. You've also won the wonderful knowledge that for at least this one week, you are just a little bit better than everyone else. Enjoy your newly elevated status and don't hesitate to lord it over the less fortunate. That's why God created them. Thank you for listening, Kenny Sessler from Portland. You are the Glorious Bastard of the Week. Become a Glorious Bastard at 970.am. Back after this. It's 
The Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along. 503-733-2970. All right. Uh, if you'd like to email it, it's rick at rickemerson.com. Coming up later on, uh, we will have uh, the new ACDC single. We'll get that here in, I don't know, like 10, 10 15 minutes, something like that. Uh, we'll do the Mystery Top 5 today. Uh, the Mystery Top 5 you will be playing for a copy of The Shield Season 6 on DVD. Don't call about that yet. We'll do that here in the... Here to here in a skosh, uh, as our Asian friends say. Uh, what else? It is High Concept Thursday. Uh, later on, Lycus and Lycus 101 at 5. This, however, is Tim Riley. A Central Florida man attacked and bitten by fire ants while walking his dog is dead. Apparently, went into shock right away. He's allergic to ant bites. Apparently, his death was caused by fire ants that washed into his home following Tropical Storm Faye and bit him multiple times. Who wants to live in Florida? No, and I mean, really, it is very... I think this is a microcosm of that whole state. This is just so representative of that entire freaking place. Because yesterday, did we not have a story about a woman minding her own business in her home when the floods washed a 20-foot snake into her house? Oh, yeah, and she screamed. Yeah, she's like, hey, so here I am. Oh, God, it's a snake. Kill it. And then so today... Some guy dead because the water washes fire ants into it. So you don't even need to go out into nature anymore in Florida. Nature comes for you. So. Meanwhile, down to Baton Rouge, complaints phoned into a sheriff's office led to the arrest of a woman accused of standing naked in the sunroof of a car traveling down the highway. <laughs> Deputy say 31-year-old Tammy Davis. Of course it's Tammy, with an eye. Uh, <laughs> also hung out of the driver's window. Uh, troopers pulled the car over and saved the driver, 30-year-old Larry Sanders. <laughs> has also been arrested for fondling the women's breasts as she stood on the rooftop. Both face charges of obscenity. You know that it's Tammy with an eye, and the eye has a little heart drawn over it, and she's blonde, and she's classy. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 blah. Mm. Jessica Simpson says she feels like she's at the start of her career once again. She notes she's even getting a case of nerves as she launches her career in the country music field. I feel like a brand-new artist all over again, like I'm 19 years old again, and... Um, it's a really great place to be because I have the butterflies and I'm anxious. You know, Jessica Simpson is one of those sort of hiccups in the culture uh, where you're not quite sure how she became famous or what. I can't remember why she became famous. I mean, I know, you know, once she's she kind of was... like the F list. <laughs> the, uh, where, I, where I come from, Tim, the F list means something well, altogether she's on different. She's somebody else's but... F list. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I can't tell if that was a single entendre or. Uh, I can't even really top that. It was I, brilliant, whatever it was. All I was going to say is, yes. uh, you know, once she sort of was in the public consciousness or the spotlight, I mean, you know, she's, she's sort of attractive in a weird sort of neck down kind of way. But I can't really remember, and please, let's be very clear that I'm not asking you to call and explain it to me like in long, drawn-out detail. I can't really remember why she became famous. She was a, a very good singer. If you listen to her first couple of albums, it's great. I mean, she's got a great voice. What killed her career was that stupid reality show that she did with her first husband. Why do you know this? Uh, because I, I was what a fan. Kind, kind of a man are you? What is this thing that walks like a man yet owns the first two Jessica Simpson's albums? Really? I, I never said I owned it. Well, whatever. All right. So there you go. So she was allegedly a singer, and then she was an actress, and then she did the variety show, which I actually Oh, no, liked. she was never an actress. Didn't she act? Wasn't she in some she, movie? She's acted, again, uh acting as a... I mean, she was in some sort of a film. She did she's some... been in a couple films, but right. I wouldn't say she's an actor. All right. Well, in any event, well, it, I mean, it, the time is drawing near when we will be sort of rid of her. So, I mean, if you look down the clock, it's at about 1335 at this point. Wendy's has announced it's changing two items on its kids' meal line. 
They're going to roll out Nestle Nesquik milk in squeezable tubes of yogurt. <laughs> I like anything that comes in a squeezable tube. <laughs> Nesquik 1% milk is white and chocolate. It'll replace Wendy's 2% milk line and squeeze yogurt tubes. will replace the chain's yogurt cup. First of all, there's two things. One, any food that comes in a squeezable tube is great because it's, I like saying tube, also because it's equal parts sort of NASA, right? That was yes. like, isn't the space station they get a lot of tube out of, tube out of foods, food out of tubes, doesn't it like a, I suppose so, but kids would know about that. No, probably not, but it's also like a RoboCop sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this machine, his digestive system is extremely simple. This machine dispenses a rudimentary paste. And that's kind of what this reminds me of, where it's just some sort of paste in a tube that you give to your kids. Also, when you're talking about it being yogurt in a tube, this is, in fact, maybe a generic version or, you know, like, house brand of Gogurt. Is that not the case? Yes. And Gogurt itself is sort of mystifying. And I know that we talked about Gogurt a while back, and we never really maybe gave it the, the time in the discussion that it really needs and deserves. Gogurt is a mystifying product to me because it's one of those things where they took a food that to my way of thinking, isn't like all that difficult to eat to begin with. It's not like you got to go out in the, in, the, in the forest and like shoot the yogurt beast and then take it home and like skin it and cook it. I mean, it's, go, it's yogurt. It's in a cup. It'll be good for here. Never any utensils. No, that is. And I guess maybe, maybe it's because you're supposed to eat it one-handed or something. Did you ever see the thing they said? And I know you probably never bought it, Tim, because you're a healthy person. You treat your, uh, you treat your, uh, you know, yourself like a temple. It is a temple, yes. Um. But did you ever go to the store and see that thing they were selling for a while? I don't think they do anymore. But it is, in fact, a its a container of snack chips, like Doritos or whatever. But it's in like a, it's in like a plastic sort of cylinder that you can grab around the middle like a handle and then just dump the snack chips into your mouth. And it actually says, great for eating while driving. And so what they've done is they've taken like Doritos and they've miniaturized them. So you can dump them into your mouth without choking, sort of George W. Bush style. And they put the miniature Doritos in a plastic cylinder, kind of like this Viso bottle. And it's just so while you're driving, you can just go and just shake them into your mouth like uh, like so many, uh, you know, things. Well, that's good if you're texting. I guess. It just, it's for today's active youth. I think maybe in American society we've reached a point. I mean, we really are slowly just becoming that, like, Wally thing where we're going to need some sort of a, like a Gogurt bot just floating next to us to spoon it into our mouths all the time. Uh, let's do one more, and then uh, I know you have, uh, you have things to prepare. Well, apparently, if you're a passenger aboard Air Canada, your, your life isn't worth saving. The airline is removing the life vests from all its planes to save on weight and fuel. <laughs> Safety cards in the seat pockets of the aircraft now direct passengers to use the seat cushions instead. Uh, they fly over the Great Lakes along the eastern seaboard to Halifax, Nova Scotia, and to Boston and New York. They all operate within 50 miles from shore, so who can't swim back, really? I would like to you find one person whose life has been saved by one of those flotation devices in an airplane. Mm-hmm. You don't know. You've never even read about anybody who crashed in the middle of the freaking ocean but was able to cling to, like, this sort of 8 by 5 seat cushion in the middle of shark-infested waters until help or help never arrives. Plus, I'd hate to remove one of those things. All the corn nuts probably fall out and everything. Everyone's dropped between the seats. Really? These planes, some of them are like 40 years old. And and I'm just going to say what everybody here is thinking, but nobody else will say aloud. Really, a seat that just smells uh, like the assembled asses of about 50 years worth of big, fat Americans sitting on it. Well, plus, I mean, who would take the time? To, in an orderly manner, remove the seat. How much time do you get before you burn to death? (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't really know the answer to that. I mean, you're standing in the crematorium. How much time do you have in an orderly fashion to remove this seat? Well, that's like that whole thing where, they, where you're doing a safety video, and they're like, you know, in the event that there are people next to you who may not, you who are not able to fix uh, to affix the oxygen, please take time to help the elderly and infirm and enfeebled before. No one does that. No. I think at that point it becomes sort of a uh, that becomes a Darwinian thinning of the herd right there. At that point. The world becomes divided into two sections. Those who are able to put on their own oxygen masks uh, and those who are not and will be removed, thus leaving the herd stronger. Wasn't that a George Carlin routine? Uh, maybe. I know that he always how talked to, about How to escape a plane. I'm going to knock over the well, elderly yeah, man. And... Yeah, you're looking for, like, who's going who's gonna to get between me and that door? You know what I mean? And on the rare occasions when I've ever had to sit next to the emergency door and then they ask you, like, are you able and willing to help those around you? And I mean, yes. you know, really, I always say yes, but only the first part is true. I'm absolutely willing to help, you know, able to help this. I'm not willing at all to do so. Uh, the plane starts to crash, I'm out the door, and everybody else can take care of themselves. Oh, Mackenzie Phillips has just been bailed out of the Van Nuys jail. On uh, $10,000 bail, her sister Bijou paid the money. Let me just tell you that Bijou Phillips, I don't know if she's on any drugs or not, uh, but I will say, I don't think there's a picture of her here. No. Uh, Bijou Phillips, uh, I, I don't know what her deal is, but she's really beautiful. Mackenzie Phillips Mackenzie Phillips looks like any number of girls uh, that I knew sort of growing up in Kennewick and then later on in Spokane and later on in various other cities where it's, you know, she's not like step nine on the Fetal faces of men. alcohol syndrome, I think is the word you're looking for. <laughs> I was going to be a little more polite about it, but yeah. All right. I mean, she, she looks as though she's... Uh, Confused. She, she looks as though she's she's a sweet spirit. I'm sure she's a pretty sweet girl. But just looking at the photograph, you know, sometimes you'll see that caption this photo contest. And I think the caption on this is just sort of a... Uh, kind of a sound. It's like she's barely there, like she's an orb or something. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not like a full human. She did spend one night in jail, though. She decided she didn't like it. Mackenzie Phillips. Mm. Well, and, you know, the thing is that she was, she was another one of those where, like, she had been on the junk, and then they claimed that she was cleaned up. And I think that the lesson that we continue to learn from this is no one is ever clean. Uh, heroin addicts are always heroin addicts, and that's and it really is just a matter of how well they're able to hide this question. And in the answer, in the case of Mackenzie Phillips, who walked through LAX with a suitcase full of drugs, allegedly the answer is not able to hide it at all. I mean, she looks like a deflated helium balloon. You give somebody for their oh, birthday. Oh, dude, that's so much worse than the photo I saw. She looks like a deflated helium balloon. Oh man. Okay, see, did you find no, no. the dollar store? No, the, the like this is the photo I was working off of. Oh no, that's not her. And she looks bad here. Uh huh. Oh, that that ain't right. You know, she looks like she looks like Steven Tyler, like in the Done with Mirrors. Oh, she does. Era. She? You know what I mean? Uh huh. Like just look at look at that face right there, right right there of Mackenzie Phillips. Just picture like a. Ow! Oh my gosh. You're, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. All right. I'll be back in a few minutes. Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen, off to prepare news as only he can. Uh, you are listening to KCMD Portland, a proud part of the CBS Radio family. We are the Tiffany Network. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, here's your 1% joke for the day. She not only looks like Steven Tyler, she, in fact, uh, for th those out there who are fans of the animated rock and roll film Rock and Rule, she looks like the character of Mock. So there you go. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, I guess we've got people on hold to whom we should... Speak at some point in the future. Are we going to be? Are we going to talk to Sarah, Richie? Richie Bristol, will we be talking to Sarah Dillon? Yeah, anytime now you want to. All right, if you want to rustle her up, that'd be fantastic. All right, 
Uh, it's 503-733-2970. All right, here's what we got to do. Tim Riley will be back at the bottom of the hour. We have not one but two different top five lists uh, that we're going to try to get to. Uh, we have today's mystery top five, and that's probably the one we'll roll out first. Don't call about it yet. Uh, but we're going to do the mystery top five here in just a skosh, and the deal is uh, you will need to identify, uh, A, the songs in this top five, and B, the overarching theme. Uh, and your correctness on these uh, on this issue will be, be determined solely by uh, the Rick Emerson program. So we'll do that here in just a few. Uh, we've got High Concept Thursday coming up. More from Tim Riley around the corner. Uh, and then uh, we'll do some other things. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's up? What's up, sir? Yeah, um, uh, back to the conjoined twins thing. Yeah. A.K.A. Siamese. Uh, the far side had a great cartoon. Uh, Siamese twins. One, they go into a doctor's office. One's got scratches all over him. And he says, so, uh, Frank, you say George is the one that's a werewolf? I'm sorry. <laughs> I had a mouthful of liquid. That was a bad idea. That's fantastic. <laughs> also this, that prompts this thought about the far side. First of all, I, I don't know if they still run Farside, like reruns or whatever you call it when it's comics. Uh, I, don't know, you know, so I don't know if it's still syndicated anywhere. I mean, they, they sort of live on forever in books and whatnot. Yeah. But for those who were sort of alive during the Farside era, I know there's been a lot of sort of single-panel comic strips since then that have tried to sort of knock off that style and decided to, tried to do the same thing Gary Larson was doing. There's really yeah. no comparison. You want to talk yeah, about a guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. a guy who just created and then absolutely owned and dominated a particular kind of comic. Absolutely. Gary Larson was a genius. And if you listen to the Rick Emerson show for any period of time, as you should, you know that we're sort of strangely fascinated by comic strips in American newspapers, but the far side was really just one of a kind. And did you know at one point, I think it was uh, UW, uh, University of Washington, that Gary Larson attended, and Gary Larson, and then we'll uh, talk to our good friend Sarah Dillon, uh, Gary Larson was actually going to school at the University of Washington. Oh, yeah. During the time when they were picking a new mascot and logo. And so, in really, in some parallel universe, there probably is, like, some UW mascot. It's like one of those cows standing upright with a handbag and, like, the slitty little <laughs> eyes, you know, or whatever. So, uh, all right. Thank you, sir. Yeah, was... and, hey, wait, wait. Oh, damn it. What? Oh, now I'll never know! Oh, bastard. Oh, spot. He might have done that on purpose. I wonder if he was doing that just to screw with me. <laughs> I will find you, and I will kill you. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City, our good friend, Sarah Dillon. Hello, Sarah. Hello. I can't really hear you. Hi. How are you? you gotta, you got to get on the microphone there, champ. How Sorry. can I follow that? That guy was genius. Yeah, he was. He was really great. How are you? Where are you at? What are you doing? Um, I'm doing awesome. I'm having the most fantastic time right now. I'm actually happy-houring with my sister. We're sitting on the back patio of this uh, great bar in the East Village uh, called Bull McCabe, and there's like a crashed airplane in the back, and it's it's really super cool. So this uh, now, uh, is this a bar that like Heather just sort of picked at random, or is it a place she goes to? How are you picking your drinking establishments? You no, know, we we actually found it randomly, and we were wandering the East Village last time I was here, and this has become uh, quickly our favorite happy houring place. It has a, a, like a patio in front, and we can watch everyone walk through the area, or else sit in back where it's really nice, surrounded by buildings, you know, it's like tons of windows and a very strange crashed airplane. So very cool. It's really cool. It's my favorite place. So how was the movie Underneath the Brooklyn Bridge? Oh, dude, we're watching that tonight. Oh, it's tonight. So you're watching The Shining. Now, are you in a... Are, it, I don't, I've only been to the Brooklyn Bridge and Underneath there uh, twice. Is it like a park? Or, where are you sitting? Yep, we're going... What's the name of the park, Heather? Is it just the Brooklyn Park? Okay, it's, it's right next to... Yeah, it's like the Brooklyn Bridge Park. And what they do is they put a screen right up against the bridge. 
So as you're watching the movie, there's just, like, the silhouette of the bridge with cars going over it and everything, along with Manhattan and the skyline, you know, and, like, all the stars and stuff. So that's tonight. Excellent. That really I'm is so fantastic. Excited. Yeah, but last night we went uh, we went to, like, old-school Brooklyn. We went to, like, this old, this, like, really old Italian-owned, um, like, steakhouse thing mm-hmm. and had a three-course mm-hmm. meal. It was just ridiculous. And then wandered around and went to, um, randomly stumbled into Pete Wentz's bar, you know, that douche from uh, Fall Out Boy? Yeah. It's called this is bar called Angels and Kings. Ugh. It is like the dumbest thing ever. And like met some like old bouncer named Dog and stuff. It was really weird. Uh, you know the thing about going to Brooklyn, and this is just based on my limited experiences. You know they've they've sort of got like you know if you're in New York, they've got uh, you know little little Italy, which is kind of just more of a, like a tourist thing at this point. But all apparently as the sort of as the city evolves, all of the sort of uh, Italian neighborhoods have sort of moved out into the Brooklyn area. So I guess Brooklyn is the, now, that is where you go for the real deal, fantastic Italian food. Dude, it was as authentic as you got. Like, the owner was there, his name was, like, Paulie, and he's like, hey, let me let me put you to your seat. He's like, this is my place. I own this place. And it was all him and all this family, and he kept sitting down. He wouldn't, like, he was pouring all of our wine for us and everything. He kept coming. He's like, is everything good? Do you like everything? Is everything good? And he's like, oh, my God. And the three-course meal, it was it was amazing. It, it didn't look like a cheese ball Italian restaurant. It looked right. exactly how you would picture one to look in the movies, you know, so back cool. in like the 70s, 60s. And, and, you know, the thing about New York is, I mean, and, and I, people who've gone there, I mean, this is I'm telling everybody stuff they already know, but if you haven't gone to New York, it's just, to say that it's just mind-blowing is just an understatement, but the, the, you can eat 24 hours, anything you want, any single hour of the night, you can get it. Oh, I mean, so true. And pizza is everywhere, everywhere. And oh. it's totally affordable and cheap. And every place has a different spin on it. And every place is even more delicious than the place before. I remember I was staying, uh, with the first time I went there, I was in my, my minuscule uh, hotel room. And you know, I couldn't sleep because the difference in time or whatever. And it was like 3.30 in the morning. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe I'll just kind of go wander around and see what happens to me. So I wander out of the hotel at 3.30 in the morning. And literally within about 50 yards... There were like three different places, just open, full-on serving whatever you wanted. I walk in, I got a bagel the size of a tire with like a whole bunch of stuff on it. I mean, just just right there, dirt cheap. It was just it's just fantastic. So the food there is unbelievable. I know it's good that you have to walk everywhere too because I've just been eating nonstop. Oh, but you were talking about hotels. So my friend Heather is here as well, and so we're, you know we're in the East Village right now. She's staying in a hotel like eight blocks up, and uh, the place is called uh, Hotel Seventeen, and she's and it's where Madonna first lived. Really? So, like the, her first time in New York. Yeah, it's like it used to be old apartment buildings, and she lived in that building um, when she was first getting her start. You know, starting this town famous and whatnot. And we went in there last night. It was the most incredible. It was it was so incredible. It's just like small hallways, everything dark wood paneling, weird wallpaper, like. Yeah, ashtrays randomly placed you, everywhere. Uh, like you look at, and you're like, Madonna lives here. Are you, able to, totally... are you able to figure out what room or, you know, what whatever, what apartment or whatever she lived in? No, no, but I bet we can ask because they actually told Heather when she uh, was booking the room that, that Madonna used to live there. So oh, if I can find it, I'll definitely snag a picture totally for you. And I saw Bob Dylan's, one of Bob Dylan's first apartments today in the West Village. That's pretty great. See, that, you know, and there's, I love Portland, but there are certain cities where you can just run across stuff like that on every single street. So. Oh, yeah, Heather's boyfriend informed me. I went to buy some um, some lotion for my tattoos, and uh, he informed me that the Rite Aid that I went to buy my lotion at is the roller rink for Saturday Night Fever. No. Yes. I'm mean, just like, hey, you know that Rite Aid that you went to today? And the guy's like, yeah, that was the, that was the roller rink. They just converted it into a Rite Aid uh, you now over the past year. Uh, all right. All we've got here is like another, hey, Gus Van Sant hung out here once. So, all right. Uh, Oh, well, enjoy your movie tonight. I'm completely envious that you're seeing it on the Brooklyn Bridge. Say hi to uh, to Heather and Heather, and uh, and uh, I guess we will talk to you, uh, I don't know, maybe around the same time tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, I'll give you a jingle tomorrow. Cool. All right, see you, Sarah. Right, okay, bye. Sarah Dillon, ladies and gentlemen, in New York City. Fantastic.
All right, it's 503-733-2970. All right, here's what we got to get done uh, between now and the top of the hour, between now and 3 o'clock. We have news with Tim Riley. Uh, we have High Concept Thursday that I really do want to get to. I have this mystery top five, and we have the uh, the new ACDC um, single. Uh, so let me see here. Right now, we should either be doing... James, I'm going to let you pick this. It's going to be uh, producer's choice today. We can either do the mystery top five... Uh, for which uh, people will be playing for a copy of The Shield Season 6 on DVD, or we can do High Concept Thursday. Your choice. I'm a big fan of the uh, High Concept Thursday, All so right. let's do that. So we'll do the High Concept Thursday here, and then we'll play the ACDC song into the break. We'll come back with Tim, News, Mystery Top 5. All right, uh, today's High Concept topic. The worst concert I ever saw was... That is your High Concept topic for today. Worst concert I ever saw was... And the reason we're doing this is because of that story uh, yesterday with Neil Diamond. And it did have a happy ending. Apparently, Neil Diamond was performing for 11,000 people the other night. And I guess his voice uh, was just terrible. I guess he had laryngitis or his, uh, you know, he was just, uh, he couldn't sing. His voice was all raspy and scratchy. And I don't know if you saw this, but he did the best thing where he offered a refund to all 11,000 people. He put out this public statement, like a press release. And he's like, I'm sorry, my voice wasn't up to par. And it was this big, flowery, like, you know, without without you, I am nothing, and I owe it all to you, and I am racked with guilt that I gave a subpar performance, and I'm going to offer a refund to any of the 11,000 people who want to... If all 11,000 people want their money back, I, Neil Diamond, will give it to you. So it was a cool stuff. I mean, who does that? I mean, you know, it's like, that's, a guy who, uh, that's a guy who knows, you know, knows how to stay successful, knows how to keep the people on his side. So uh, because of that, today's high-concept topic is... The worst concert I ever saw was blank. It's 503-733-2970. We will not do uh, High Concept Thursday. The worst concert I ever saw was blank. 503-733-2970. James, observation? Uh, I'm just trying to think of the uh, worst concert I ever saw, and I can't think of any. I'm going to tell you, I saw Alice in Chains uh, a long time ago. Uh, Lane Staley, at the time we just thought he was drunk, but perhaps he was drunk and a little something else. Uh, maybe he was all Mackenzie Phillips out, and he just kept wandering off the stage in the middle of the song. It was sort of like when I saw Ace Fraley. I saw Ace Fraley, a solo tour to that one time, where Ace just clearly kept forgetting that he was supposed to be singing to people, and he would do that that thing of just wandering away. So Ace would be up there singing and be like, you know, shock me, baby. <laughs> Ah, ah. And Jerry Cantrell, or Lane Staley, rather, kept doing the same thing. And he kept going, you know, like, uh, I'm the man. There is. And, and at, at a certain point, we'd just wander off the stage, like, to nowhere. Like, he would just leave. And at one point, he tried to leave, and Jerry Cantrell actually had to grab him. And I think nearly had to sort of put him in a chokehold to get him back to the microphone because he was just, I think, so smacked out. He just kept wandering off stage, and you know, it was it was pretty pretty terrible and great. I suppose. I did just now think of it. Yes. It was uh, Stone Temple Pilots. Actually, was the worst concert I ever saw. What made it so bad? Uh, Scott Weiland. Well, I guess I guess, <laughs> I guess I could have solved that problem myself. I mean, the the rest of the band was tight. I mean, the music was good, but Scott Weiland was awful. Yeah. And uh, I think he was probably smacked out of his mind because he was just. I, there were times that they were playing a song, but he was singing a different song, yeah. and I don't know if he did it on purpose or. I will tell you the and one. On top of it, he was wearing a, a tight black corset and women's underwear. That's no good. Yeah, it was. It I was, was not a pretty show. I, I will tell you the one time I uh, saw Scott Weiland person uh, was actually fairly recently, and he was sitting in a bar. So there you go. <laughs> 
Uh, hi, you're on the uh, Rick Emerson Show, High Concept Thursday. The worst concert you ever saw was? Cabadonna and Raekwon from the Wu-Tang Clan. And keeping in mind, I've seen Richard Marks before. <laughs> <laughs> that tag is really what makes this a golden call. Uh, at what venue was this? This was at the Roseland. Uh, they, they, first of all, they made us wait forever. Mm-hmm. And so everyone was chanting, woo, 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 woo. <laughs> and then basically they, they said... Uh, Okay, okay, so ignore, it wasn't even a DJ. It was like a guy up there playing their CD. Like a dat tape or something, yeah. Yeah, and then and they were like, you don't know S about Wu-Tang. And then you're they sitting in the crowd our, going like, what? I, I'm just yeah, here it, to watch you. Okay. It, it really was I will I will tell you that um, live hip-hop can be a little bit of a mixed bag because sometimes you see performers who are really great and then sometimes, you know, you will see, uh, you know, you see hip-hop artists who come out and sometimes it is just that bad backing track and sometimes and i've seen this more than i at least two or three times where you go to see the ostensibly live hip-hop act and it's not just a backing track it's like the full-on as you said the backing track with vocals and so they really don't even need to be sort of performing they they could have just stayed in the bus the whole time yeah and the thing is too yeah. when you listen to hip-hop album a lot of times their voice is toned down yeah whereas when you're in concert you need to yell yeah so yeah. their voice I don't, you know you can't even tell if it's maybe them or not all right thank you sir all right <laughs> Uh huh. Did he just explode? That was like a Xena thing. High Concept Thursday. The worst concert you ever saw was what? Uh, Tori Amos down at the Rosewood. We go in there. It was just after her first album came out. Mm-hmm. My wife kind of liked it. I thought it was pretty good. We went down yeah. there. First of all, we had all these young Tori fans who just sang along with every song at the top of their lungs. Oh, yeah. And Tori's up there on the piano bench just bouncing around. And <clears throat> by the end, it was. Like, oh, I never want to hear this album again. I will tell you this. Tori Amos is just flat-out white-hot. Uh, and most of Tori Amos' fans are hot, and they're also kind of crazy, which makes them even hotter. But I have to tell you, they are a special breed of annoying. Tori Amos fans are a special brand of irritating. They love themselves a lot. I will give you that. And they never met a sense of melodrama they didn't like. <laughs> exactly. So, all right, thank you. Bye. All right. Uh, and she's, you know, former Catholic schoolgirl. She's got that going for her. Uh, hi, a Rick Emerson show. Worst concert you ever saw was what? Uh, worst and best ever. State line Idaho, raceway there. Blue Oyster Cult plays Friday night. Plays too late, violates the noise permit. State police come in and shut them down that night, which was great. Next day, the place gets burnt to the ground in a riot when everybody realized they'd lost all their money. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. Not for them. Thank you. All right. right. High Concept Thursday. Uh, the worst concert you ever saw was what? Bob Dylan. Really? Now, are you just now? When did you see him? Uh, I'd say it's probably like '89 at the Smith. Oh, that was a bad. That was a low point for Bob Dylan. You know, he, anyway, just total disdain for the audience. It felt like I was imposing, even yeah. watching him play. Well, that is that is to be Bob Dylan is to hate the people who made you rich and famous. Uh, uh, I, I was embarrassed. Yeah, if, you know, Bob Dylan has a little bit. He has an advanced case of that Michael Stipe syndrome of the. Well, I don't really want to tour or be a rock star. You know what? F you. Stay home then, jackass. Uh, Bob Dylan. Here's a little Bob Dylan fact. I don't know if he still does it, but Bob Dylan, for a long time, when he would sing a really well-known song, like Blowing in the Wind or whatever, he would change the melody on the fly because, he, as he said, he goes, I don't want the audience to be able to sing along. So there you go. Typical. All right. Thank you, sir. Hey, later. Yeah, all right. There you go. Uh, we'll do a few more here. Hi, uh, High Concept Thursday. What is the worst concert you ever saw? All right. I'm going all in with Richard Marks. So a uh, second Richard Marks. Now, when was this? Was this the Hold On to the Night era or? This was 1992. Oh, so like the Hazard era. Yeah. 
Uh, yes, and it was, uh, first of all, I didn't pay for the ticket, uh, but uh, man, was it bad. The low point was when they did Sam Cooke, Don't Know Much About History, you know that song. Yeah, Wonderful World, yeah. Yeah, it just disintegrated, and then he says, we didn't rehearse this. No kidding. <laughs> Thank you. Do three more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Worst concert you ever saw was what? Yeah, hi, Rick. Uh, this would be Kathy McDonald. It's a long time ago, but it was uh, the chick that took over for Janis Joplin and Big Brother and the Holding Company. That's okay. I, I sat, I sat in a little club and was buying her, you know, talking to her and yeah. buying her a couple drinks, and then she talked to the guy behind the bar, and he went and got her a full-on Magnum bottle of cold duck. She drank the whole thing. She did most of the concert on her back, drooling. And just <laughs> that is fantastic. Uh, thank you, sir. All right. Uh, there you All go. Right. Voice number one. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Two more. Uh, what is the worst concert you ever saw? The Scorpions. I'll do it. I'm with you on that. I, I don't even need to know anything more. Go ahead and tell me, but I don't even know, kicker, know anything more to the, agree. The kicker was I was watching them in Germany even. <laughs> they came out there like, yeah, this is our, our newest song. It's track 13 off our new album. I'm like, who in the hell plays track 13 to open up an out uh, a concert? Seriously. Uh, did they? What was the crowd like? Did the crowd even respond to them? Uh, no, they all left. It was like this big summer fest, and the Beach Boys were on before. Well, Beach Boy, there's only like one left. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everybody there was like loving the Beach Boy and everything. And then like they came on, they were like 20 minutes late after their intro. You know, they did the whole huge, we're going to rock you intro, sure. you know, pre-recorded thing. And then they were like 20 minutes late. And then like a little tiny, tiny rainstorm came in and everybody walked away. Yeah, it's good to see they're shunned even by their homeland. All right. Yeah, that was the greatest part. It was in Germany. Excellent. Thank you. One more uh, final call for High Concept Thursday. Uh, worst concert you ever saw was what? <laughs> I got roped into going to z one hundred like, friggin' ninth birthday party back in 1990, and it was terrible. They had... Uh, Joe to see there. Yeah. You remember you crew? Oh yeah. Uh, it was just god awful. The only good thing that was there was Terry Nunn was there and she was hot, but everything else was ridiculous. It was did me she, and a bunch of did she look? Year old. Did she look good in person? She did look wonderful in person, but you anywhere in the stage because you know, you would have had to. Uh, Smash your way through twelve-year-olds, fifteen-year-olds who are just salivating over uh, Jodeci. Well, you know that sometimes those those top forty station package shows are just so bad because there's the one act, and then it's just like it ends like fifteen acts that you could not possibly care. It's like you would you would you rather have your your teeth yanked out than watch them, but you're there suffering through for like the one act you want to see. So, <laughs> yeah, all right, horrible. thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Okay. There you go. There's your high concept. Uh, there's your high concept Thursday. All right. Without further ado, we're going to uh, play the new ACDC single, or at least a good chunk of it here into the break. Uh, so the new uh, album is called what is it called? Black Ice. It's the name of the record. Comes out in October, I think. Uh, let me see. I guess I could read it off the CD, huh? Uh, this is ACDC. Uh, the new uh, the new album is called Black Ice. Comes out October 20th. Uh, this is produced by Brendan O'Brien, who did uh, he produced some stuff for Pearl Jam, and he produced uh, Matthew Sweet, and I think he did the Rising album for Bruce Springsteen. So Paddock said. Uh, so uh, we want to play this now. This is the new single from ACDC called Rock and Roll Train on the Rick Emerson Show. Tim Riley next day. That's the Rick Emerson Show.
Radio program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Ladies and gentlemen, he is your personal savior. And now, now. from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. So the Obama speech tonight will be on at 7 o'clock. Excellent. As far as the ratings go, CNN is in the lead. Followed by NBC, ABC, uh, CBS, Fox News, <laughs> and MSNBC. Are we... Uh, the, never mind. <laughs> Gonna make a joke and I pulled it back. Mm-hmm. Uh, one man appears to be determined to crash the party at the Playboy Mansion. LAPD says a Van uh, uh, Ventura County man rammed his vehicle into the gates of Hugh Hefner's legendary home twice in the past week. Uh, detectives believe both incidents invoke an ongoing dispute. So uh, the unarmed suspect was arrested and released after the first crash. He slammed his car into the gates again, but took off before police got there. The gates do have some damage. Police do not know if Hefner uh, or any of his three girlfriends were home at the time. Hefner? I barely knew her. Hefner? <laughs> Sorry. Um, I was going to make some long observation about the Playboy Mansion, but never mind. I'm just going to skip it. So, uh, John McCain's running mate, they may leak the name... At three o'clock, and some sort of confirmation at eight tonight. So they might, so they, so they might sort of leak his name in like twenty minutes, but then tonight they would, they would confirm that that is the guy. It seems, I don't know, it seems weird. I, I wonder if maybe is that the maybe steal part of the news cycle from from Barack? I mean, that doesn't even seem possible at this point. No. Uh, I, I if I were if, if I were running that campaign, uh, it seems like you might hold off on naming. I should have asked Caston about this. Hold off on naming the VP because you don't want to give the Barack people any sort of confirmation on it because you don't want them to take t- use tonight's speech as a way to sort of get some preemptive shots in at him. Eh, what do I know? All right. So uh, that's it for now. All right. Shall we do the top five? Oh yes, let's do. That. Ladies and gentlemen, here is your mystery top five. Now before we uh, before we roll this, let me say here's how uh, Richie Bristol. Um, Richie, we'll need you to clear the phone lines here because uh, we're going to do a little uh, a little contesting. So if we can, um, we'll just sort of clear out the folks who are on hold. Thank you. All right, so here is the deal. Do not call now, uh, but here is the deal. We are going to be playing now for a copy of The Shield Season 6 on DVD. Don't miss the final season of The Shield premiering Tuesday, 10 p.m. On, fi- uh, on FX, rather, and pick up The Shield Season 6 in stores August 26th. Sony Pictures Home Entertainment brings you that. So uh, we are now going to play a mystery top five. We will identify... The artist, but not the song. At the conclusion of this top five, we will take caller five uh, at 503-733-2970. You must be able to name the songs and the theme. Now, I know the theme can be a little vague. The wording might be different, so that will be at the sole discretion of the Rick Emerson Show, whether you are correct or not. At the end of this top five, you must be able to correctly identify the songs and the theme. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the mystery top five. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Tim Riley with today's Mystery Top 5. And bothering a long, tedious clean-out of the AM 970 audio archives. This Top 5 offers a profound insight into something. We now present the following list of tunes for which no titles or unifying themes will be given. Audible mention goes to a little ditty from a band called Wasp. Okay. 
the folks on the stream just got deafened by that. Uh, so this is a song we will, of course, not identify by name. And Richie Bristol, uh, early calls on this will not be accepted. Uh, we will need to wait until the final song is playing before anybody can give a guess. So it's kind of difficult to talk about these without sort of giving away the theme or the title. I will say this is a fantastic song. Boy, just a just a big, mean, thunderous sound. Even now, this song still sounds heavy. A little blacky lawless there. And I think this is still during the Chris Holmes era. James? Yes. This was uh first album. Or second album. So this would be right around the time that Chris Holmes was drunkenly pouring vodka over himself in a swimming pool while Penelope Spirit no, asked him embarrassing questions. That. Really? Yes. Ah. Uh, all I remember is that whole thing, and I don't even know if this is true or not. When I was a kid uh, going to Catholic school, we were always told that at WASP concerts, they would throw raw meat out into the audience. That's true. Is that true, really? There's, You can YouTube it and see video footage of old concerts. They they had a, a big old like cutting block that they would take the meat and chop it with a hatchet and then just throw chunks out. Throwing perfectly good meat away. Well, I will be attending. <laughs> we should do that at the next listener party, Tim. We'll just throw meat into the audience. You can throw tofu. We're going to roast a pig. <laughs> That would be silly, Tim. Who would possibly do such a thing? I don't know. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, here is uh, Tim Riley. Number five, a delightful toe tapper from the fellows in the AC and DC. All right, here is uh, the number five cut on the mystery top five. We were just playing that new ACDC single into the break. It sounds exactly the same. Well, you know, I was saying in a world of changes, you can always rely on ACDC. They do one thing, and they do it better than anybody else. What's even just as distinctive as the guitar sound is the drum sound. Totally. That one beat. Yeah. It's always the <laughs> same. <laughs> yeah. I got to say, time. I was talking to Chris Paddock about this. You really got to give it up to ACDC that they created a staggering number of memorable and original songs and unique songs. Using just the same handful of chords, the same, you know, one drum pattern, one singing style. You know, you got to give it up. To, they do this particular kind of rock better than anyone has ever done it. Anybody ever will. I mean, I can already say that. You know, there's nobody will ever do this kind of rock better than ACDC. They are the absolute freaking standard. Great song. They got that great chiming sound with the guitars. It's real rhythmic. I've always said that, you know, in terms of hard rock, you don't get a lot more rhythmic than ACDC. It is almost danceable in a weird way. It's just got that great swing to it. I think they're still playing their the original equipment they got when they first started the band. Oh, seriously, one why, guitar tone. Why should they uh, why get change? new equipment as technology gets better? No, this worked for us in the beginning. One SG, one amplifier. Go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here's Tim Riley. Number four, a charming tune from American singer Tom Petty. This is during that era when all of the Tom Petty songs, either Tom Petty records all sounded like the Traveling Wilburys, or the Traveling Wilburys just sounded like Tom Petty, because they were all produced by Jeff Lynne, which means that they all in turn sounded like the Electric Light Orchestra. Great song, great video with, I think, Faye Dunaway, as well as Johnny Depp. Everybody remembers Johnny Depp in this, but I think Faye Dunaway is the manager uh, in this song, who at the end, he's outside of the club, and she's looking all raggedy with a cigarette, and she goes, and blows the cigarette at him, and then he becomes, I don't know, he falls over, or something happens. I, 
I got this song confused with uh, Mary Jane's Last Dance. See, but they all have the same kind of sound. It's that same booming kind of drum sound that he was doing all through the 90s. Kind of started with Full Moon Fever. There's that real almost dream pop sound of the guitars. Almost sounds like a Brit pop sound on the guitars here. And it's that little chiming, that dun-dun-dun-dun in the background. It, is, it adds like a little bit of wistfulness to the song. Very well produced. Number three, an iconic selection from the one and only Chuck Berry. Here is your uh, number three on the mystery top five, ladies and gentlemen. I think this is the only recording of the modern era that was sent into space on, like, I don't know, Voyager 5 or Viking 9 or something 12. But they did that whole thing of sending one of those probes into space. I thought it was Louie Louie. No, well, it might have been that additionally, but they also sent they also sent this song. Uh, they sent one of those probes into space, and on the side was like the etchings for man and woman, like the Da Vinci or Galileo etching, you know, the, 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 the yeah, articulated man or whatever. And then they sent a a gold, literally a gold record with a stylus, and on it was like greetings from people on Earth, uh, nature sounds, and then this song sent into space as a representation of the human race, which is awesome. I could listen to this song over and over every single day for the rest of my life. He had a great guitar sound. Oh, man, Chuck Berry is, you know, you know he did something that was sort of, you know, he's kind of the ACDC of his, of his time. Sort of basic, sort of simple, has a definite style, kind of rewrites himself every now and again, but goddamn, nobody nobody does this better than him. Tell me your mind doesn't flash to Back to the Future, though. Well, I try, to, I try to shut that up. <laughs> this is the mystery top five, Tim Riley. Number two, a melancholy track from the 70s superstars, Bad Company. Do you know the song, Tim? might take me a second. Baby. And this was a Bad Company, this song, which we will not name. This is Bad Company kind of getting their skinnered on here. It does have that sort of that, that kind of Rossington Collins sound to it, the Van Zant. And then this song was in turn stolen by Travis Tritt for a song called I'm Going to Be Somebody. That's the... That, that's where I've heard it. Tim Riley... You just continue to amaze me. Really, I mean, I should no longer be astounded at the, the depth and breadth of your of your knowledge and genius, but well done, Tim Riley. Uh, not I had only... to be prodded a bit, but it came to me. But, but yeah, Travis Tritt full-on stole this. I'll say it, he stole this for a song called, yeah, I'm gonna be somebody. And he has that line about a, a young rebel boy with the same old hungry eyes. Yeah. I think this is off um, Straight Shooter or whatever their second record was. This is sort of an honorary Cameron Crowe song. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't get sued behind that. All right, and the final track, Richie Bristol, we can open the phone lines now. The final track on the Mystery Top 5. You must be able to, if you are caller 5, and we might take a few calls beyond that if they don't get it, uh, you must be able to identify all six songs and the theme. Number one, a perennial rock anthem from the lads in Foreigner. 
Uh, we'll go and play this. Uh, James, we'll play this for a bit. You decide when we need to uh, the break. We're going to break here and come back on the other side. We'll go to the phone, see if anybody gets it. This is the final song in the mystery top five, ladies and gentlemen. You must be able to, uh, to nail all six songs by title uh, and an approximation of the theme of this mystery top five. You can do so. Uh, score uh, The Shield Season 6 on DVD. Back after this. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, join us tomorrow when our guests will include uh, Scott Daly from FilmFeverRadio.org. Uh, and we'll have a recap of tonight's Barack Obama uh, speech, which is happening at 7 o'clock uh, Pacific time. All right, we will now... Let's see, where's my music? Uh, there we go. We will now go to the phones, ladies and gentlemen, and try to uh, find ourselves a winner uh, for the top five. It is the mystery top five. We are giving away a copy of The Shield Season 6 on DVD. If you can correctly identify all of the songs that were just on the top five, as well as the overriding theme, we'll take uh, caller number five. Hello there. How are you on this fine Thursday? I'm good, but I didn't know about the rule of knowing all the songs, man. I only heard the top three. It wasn't like I said it or anything. I know. I just was out of my truck for a second. I didn't. I missed that. Well, I am. I am sad for you, my friend. I'm but sad for me too. Unfortunately, you win nothing except shame. All right. Well, at least I got to talk to Richie for one second. <laughs> that is sort of a booby prize, but a prize nonetheless. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. Better luck next time. Thanks. All right. Hi, uh, Rick Emerson Show. Uh, uh, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. All right. Do you Great. think you can take a crack at it? I can. How fast do you want me to do it? Uh, please just list me uh, all six songs and the theme. Okay. Wasp, I Want to Be Somebody, ACDC, Rock and Roll Singer, Tom Petty, Into the Great Wide Open, Chuck Berry, Johnny B. Good, Bad Company, Shooting Star, Foreigner, Jukebox Hero, and it's the story, legend, myth of the young man that wants to be the rock star. Congratulations, my friend. You have just scored yourself a copy of The Shield Season 6 on DVD from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Let me just, I'm always curious about these. How, how far into the list did you know the theme? Um, the second song. <laughs> All right, then. So I'm, <laughs> so I'm really only like 5% as clever as I sometimes think I am. Oh, well, you're better than that. All right. Congratulations, sir. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you. I'm going to put you on hold, Richie. If you can get the, that fine young man's information, uh, he wins himself a copy of The Shield uh, on DVD. All right. Excellent. Fantastic. Wondrous and wonderful. All right. How long do we have here, James? Uh, about four minutes. About four minutes. I have no... What can I do for four minutes? Aha. Uh -huh. Zing. <laughs> uh, well, if you want to uh, sneak onto the phones, and that was a good chance to do it, it's 503 733 uh, 2970-503-733-2970 if you would like to uh, join us on the program here as we roll toward the top of the hour. Like us at 3, uh, like us 101 at 5, Michael Mara Show at 7. So we'll do uh, random calls here to the top of the hour. It's 503-733-2970. All right, just a couple of things I didn't get to today. Uh, we got to an astonishing number of things, especially given how busy we were and how much stuff there was to get to. And then we had all this convention talk, and we're going to be doing it again tomorrow. And then the Republican convention... 
does the Republican convention start on Monday or does it start on Tuesday? Because they're because they're gonna because they're gonna be there, but I think but they got the holiday, so I'm unclear about whether the Republicans are gonna ro- be rolling everything out on Monday or whether they're gonna wait a day. Hmm. It's all very it's all very perplexing, so I don't really know. Well, I found out if this uh, this uh, Gustav thing touches down, they're gonna curtail their uh, cocktail parties. Really? Yes. Is there a more Republican gesture than that, by the way? No, no, no. In light of all the suffering and plight, we are going to shorten our cocktail parties by one hour. And I will only have a single olive. That really is the most Republican of gestures. God love them. All right. Well, let's see what these people are calling about. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Uh, Someone just called me, and I totally missed that. Can you tell me the theme again? Wait, hold on. So you were listening, but then you had to take another call, and you missed the theme. I missed the caller. Yeah, right, right when he called, do you have a, do you have I had a, to turn the radio down. I had to take the call. So. Do you have a guess as to what the theme was? Oh God, actually, not not in the wasp. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even been able to list the, a couple first tracks. But the, the, the theme is young men growing up to be rock stars, or the rise from nothing <laughs> to fame, sir. That is awesome. I like it. All right, thank you, uh, my friend. A top five suggestion? Yes. Uh, anything that has like a cast of characters. I'm sorry. Say what? A cast of characters, such as. Um, that's what I mean. A cast of there's like a, a little ditty about Jack and Diane. Oh, I or, see. So a song that is about a group of individuals who are uh, identified. Right. Where they introduce the characters in the song and it tells their story or All whatnot. Right. No, no, no. I like that. Okay, cast of characters. I'll put it on the list, my friend. All right. All right. Good, good, day. good day to you, sir. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hey, is this me? Yes, it is, sir. Hi, how are you? Hey, uh, earlier you guys talking about uh, best worst concerts ever, yeah. and I've been racking my brain. I saw Green Day in '97 at a place called La Luna, and I can't remember where the heck that was or if it's still around. La Luna, La Luna was James. Help me out here. Gone back. It, it, La Luna, I think, is still around. It used to be the Ninth Street Theater, the Pine Street Theater. It it went through so many different names, but it was legendary. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it was awesome. It was the best concert I've ever seen. I just and I've been trying to find that place ever since I moved back to Portland, and I don't know where the heck it is. I know I'm a bad Portlander, but I think it, it came back, but it's then like it went away again. It's like the Ninth and Pine. It's like that, you know, it's like Satyricon though, which has been gone and back and gone and back a million times. James and I were actually bonding about something a few days ago that back in '92, I think. Uh, I was not even living here. I was living in Utah, maybe, or something. But I drove all the way here to see Metallica at Portland Meadows. But the night before Metallica played, I went to La Luna to see this great Liverpool band called Carcass, who were this metal band of the day. And La Luna was really just an amazing venue. I mean, it was a, it was a fantastic place. But I... it was it it was a complete hole in the wall club. But it it was exactly the type of place you wanted to see a show like Carcass yeah. in. Is, or, or isn't there a radio program named? Oh, that that's, yeah, well, that's where Lisa Wood on, on yes. KUFO on Sunday night, she does her local music show, Viva La Luna, sort of as a tribute to that. So, uh, yeah, I know this makes me a bad person, but I don't really know if it's back or not. It was, but it may, I don't know. We'll, we'll look into it, sir. We'd have to well, ask Lisa I'll, I'll keep trying to find it. By the way, Rick, uh, I lived in Kennewick for four years. I called my four-year sentence, so I feel your pain. All right. I'm glad we're bonded, sir. <laughs> okay. Thank you. All right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick, nobody's mentioned uh, Courtney Love all hopped up on Nuke out at the gorge during Lollapalooza. Hopped up on what? Nuke. What is that? Isn't that the drug from RoboCop? <gasps> Good reference. Look at you, all with the deep knowledge. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I feel like a fool. I, for a minute, I thought you were talking like an actual thing. I'm like, I'm so non-hip with the kids and their lingo. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. Later. All right. We'll end it with a Courtney Love reference. 
Uh, we want to thank, uh, let me turn this off over here. We want to thank CNN radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, Ed McCarthy, uh, Dick Uliano, Rick Emerson Show, produced today by Kristen Bowie and James Robinson for AM 970. In the newsroom, Tim Riley, the phones, Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in. Webmistress is the newly married Bridget from upstairs, director of engineering, Brian Jones, and of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan, do not F with me, Reynolds. Like us next. Like us 101 at 5. Mike O'Mara Show at 7. We'll see you tomorrow at 10 for the recap. 11 for the show. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Watch out for snakes. Don't let the bastards grind it down. Bye now.